This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, and we have a stacked show for you this week as we are changing up the format here on the TSN MMA Show. You know, usually it's myself and Bazooka Joe breaking everything down, talking about the news, looking ahead, or it's me doing it solo. But I've decided to switch things up. You know, Joe's still going to join me from time to time, but when he's not, we're going to flip the format a little bit. We're going to start off with a recap of this past weekend's event with Jeff Molina, UFC flyweight. He was at the card in Austin, Texas, in support of uh, his, his brother in arms, Julian Marquez, who unfortunately fell short against uh, Gregory Rodriguez last weekend. But he was happy to join me to discuss everything that went down on that card. Never realized that uh, Jeff Molina likes to, uh, to break down these fights pretty, uh, in a pretty detailed fashion going in, and that he uh, basically his second job is making money on the fights themselves. So kudos to Jeff Molina. He'll be joining me to recap the event in just a little bit. We will also have James Lynch on the show to talk about the news and notes from this past week. What's going on in the world of mixed martial arts, discussing all of the big topics going on inside the sport in any major promotion where something happens. James and I breaking that down this week. And then finally, we're going to look ahead. It's going to be the combat countdown with myself and Adam Martin, a longtime friend of mine. And he will be joining me to preview this weekend's UFC Fight Night card headlined by Armand Sarukian and Mateusz Gamrot. So excited to speak with Adam and talk about, you know, how, the, how each fighter matches up against one another. If there's any, uh, any plays that we like on this particular card, we're going to hit all of that. But first... As we do each week. Let's get to the monologue. This week, I'll be discussing Josh Emmett, his win over Calvin Cater, and what could be next for the featherweight after his big win over Calvin Cater. Here is the monologue. Now, before I start this week's monologue, let's get this out of the way. I scored Saturday night's main event 48-47 for Calvin Cater. And I'm not quite sure how a judge saw the fourth round for Josh Emmett, but... This was a very close and competitive fight that really could have gone either way between two of the elites at featherweight in a top 10 that is absolutely stacked with talent. So the judges were tasked with giving their result, deciding who won the fight, and we need to honor that result and credit Josh Emmett with his great victory. And in the interest of transparency, had Calvin Cater gotten a nod from the judges on Saturday, I'd probably be stating his case in this video because one thing is clear, the featherweight division needs new challengers. After being awarded the decision, Josh Emmett said that he wants to sit cage side at UFC 276 so that he can see who his next opponent is going to be, essentially asking for a title shot. And I'm here to tell you that for Josh Emmett, it's now or never. Let's look at the facts. Assuming that he takes Cater's number four spot, he is the only one who has yet to face either Max Holloway or Alexander Volkanovsky of all of the top five ranked featherweights. Since 2016, every fighter that we have seen in an undisputed title fight in the featherweight division has competed in at least two title fights over the course of their career. Emmett would be a fresh title challenger, which the division has really lacked since Volkanovski won the title. And while age ain't nothing but a number, it is also not on Emmett's side. Once December hits, he will be older than anyone who has challenged for a title at a weight class of 155 pounds or below. Frankie Edgar at UFC 240 stands as the oldest at nearly 38 years of age. Also, if you look at the top five featherweight contenders, he has the best featherweight record of any of them, with only one loss in the division. Not only has Emmett won seven of his eight featherweight fights, six if you count his win over Lamas as a catchweight due to Emmett missing weight, he has been an underdog in six of those eight bouts. And if Josh Emmett does end up sitting cage side next month, he should be cheering for Alexander Volkanovsky, 
Because if we get another close fight between the two fighters who have dominated this division for the past three years and the scorecards go Max Holloway's way, would anybody be surprised to see a fourth fight? I know that I wouldn't, and the clock is ticking for Josh Emmett, who has risen to the occasion and won five straight fights against very, very tough featherweights. And that's the case for Josh Emmett to get the next featherweight title shot. I'm Aaron Bronstetter, and this was The Monologue. That was the monologue, and Josh Emmett very well could be next in line for a featherweight title fight. And we'll talk about that in a moment with my next guest. It's the recap. We're going to go over what happened at UFC Austin with somebody who was in attendance for the card and one of the most exciting fighters in his own right in the UFC is Jeff Molina. So you were down there supporting Julian Marquez, your uh, training partner and friend. Obviously, things did not go his way that night. But what was the experience for you like watching a card like that? It was awesome, man. Um, we had great seats, almost almost front row, or as, as good as it gets uh, to be in front row. Um, the whole card was, was stacked top to bottom, and, and the fights, they, uh, they were great, man. They, they definitely put on for the city of Austin. And the city of Austin itself is still, it was my first time in, in Austin, and uh, I loved it, man. It's a very hipster city. Um, yeah, the city itself is sick. Everyone's super nice and respectful, and, and I, think, um, I think just having that energy – from the crowd, help uh, the fights turn into what it was, and which was just super exciting fights. Well, it is the home of South by Southwest, which is, you know, the hipster mecca for a one week in in Austin, Texas. Uh, so, so when yeah. you're there, and uh, of course Julian's fight happens, for the next four fights, are you able to enjoy them? Are you able to kind of block out of your mind that you know, of course, a good friend of yours, <laughs> training partner, um, has just lost a fight? Yeah, man. Um, it was tough. Uh, Julian's my guy. He's uh, he's like an older brother to me. He's done a lot for me in the sport. Um, so yeah, I was heartbroken for him, but it's part of the game. I did have to step away right after that fight. Just kind of uh, sounds like dramatic, man. But that's like my dude, bro. Like, and the way he lost wasn't just like you know like a split decision loss. He he got knocked out unfortunately. So I stepped away for a little bit, came back, and you know um, shot him a text. I know most fighters don't go directly to the phone after a fight, but just uh, checked in with my coach, made sure he was okay, and. And then, uh, yeah, I still enjoy the rest of the fights, man. That's just, you know, creeping in the back of my head is like, I hope that guy's all right. You know, it's, uh, you know, I was heartbroken for him. And it's, uh, it's, it's a cliche saying, but it's true, man. Highs, highs, lowest lows. And just having that, that first, that firsthand experience with Julian, knowing that he put in all the work, man, no shortcuts were done in camp. He was going on the extra runs after practice. His diet was on point, followed his nutrition to a T and, you know, no corners were cut and the results just didn't show that. And uh, that's that's what sucks about the sport, man. And then, you know, he, he's getting hate online, you know, so it really is the highest highs, lowest lows. And I, I just feel it for him. But to answer your question, man, I was able to uh, to enjoy the fights after him. Cool. Well, that's good to hear. And I mean, it doesn't sound dramatic to me. I knowing what you guys go through in camp together. It's a brotherhood. So I can certainly uh, understand where you were coming from. Let's start with the main event. Josh Emmett defeats Calvin Cater. Uh, split, uh, split decision. How did you score it watching it in person? Uh, I had to watch it back uh, Sunday because I was uh, it was the main event. So at that point I was oh uh, at that point man I was about seven beers deep. So <laughs> I, I was watching tentatively, but I wasn't scoring it. Uh, to me from from the from what I saw and again to take it with a grain of salt because I was seven beers deep. Um, I thought Cater won. I had a three two for Cater, uh, but again I wasn't scoring it uh, on replay. I could see how it could be called for Emmett. Um, yeah, it was a close fight. Uh, I do feel like a lot of the shots that, that Emmett was landing weren't actually landing. They were blocked. And just the, the optics of of the big winging shots. And Emmett had great body work in that fight. 
Um, but I do feel like a lot of the shots that, that maybe um, swayed the judges to score in favor of Emmett were actually blocked or landing on his shoulders. Cater does this slick little shoulder roll, and he's good at turning with the punches. So not a lot of it was landing flush. I feel like a lot of the big shots for Emmett were actually blocked. Um, I'm not mad at it either way. Uh, I don't think it was a robbery like some people are saying. Um, I did find it interesting that a lot of the scorecards were very split on what uh, what round went to which fighter. Um, Aaron, I know in the past we've talked about uh, open scoring, and I'm a pretty big proponent of it. I know you're not, um, but it would just be interesting to see if there'd be any difference with uh, with open scoring in this fight. I didn't say I wasn't a big proponent of open scoring. I'm open to the idea. I'm I'm interested in seeing how it would work in practice. I'm I don't have a side. I don't I don't believe in, in black and white. I'm I'm very gray with most of my thoughts. So I, I can see how open scoring could help it. But I think that if there was open scoring, it probably would have been even going into the last round anyways. And I'm sure that both fighters probably felt that way. If anything, El- Emmett would have put taken his foot off the gas without open scoring, right? So he could have lost himself that fight because his corner was so confident that he had won three of the four rounds heading into the fifth. Yeah, yeah. I think I remember seeing Emmett was, uh, said he, he thought he won four out of five of the rounds, which is interesting. Um, yeah, uh, maybe, maybe not specifically in that fight, but in general, I, I would love to see open scoring in these, uh, these close fights, man. Like, I want to know as a fighter if I'm winning or not. And, um, you know, that's a different discussion. But, yeah, a close fight could have went either way. I'm glad to see Emmett uh, kind of climb into the upper echelon of the division. Kind of mix things up a little bit, man. Adds a fresh face in there with the the Yair's, the Ortega's, the Volkanovski, the Max's, like, like, it's cool to see a fresh face in there, and man, I'm excited for some of these potential matchups with him in there. I always get annoyed when people get mad at a fighter for saying they thought they won four or five rounds. Like, he's in there. He's not watching the fight. Like, he's he's Josh Emmett, right? Like, yeah. everybody yeah. else is watching the fight. He's seeing it through his own yeah. eyes, so I can understand why he thought he won four rounds from his own vantage 100%. point. Yeah, 100%, brother. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm not mad at it at all, man. This guy just got punched in the face. Like his his, his face was pretty mangled after that. Like uh, I take everything a fighter says after a fight with a grain of salt. After I guess at the beginning of this show, I did my monologue for the week, which was the case for Josh Emmett to get the next title shot after the Holloway and Volk fight, uh, the trilogy fight. Now, if Holloway ends up winning a close fight, I think that they're probably going to do a fourth fight. But if that's not the case, and they need a new challenger, I think Emmett should be next in line for the title. Do you agree? Love it. Yeah, I love it, man. I said earlier, I don't mind the fresh face at the, the top of the division, that that top five or top three, whatever he is now. I don't mind it at all. Um, and, dude, he's 37 years old, like, and, and at that weight class, at that division, he's basically 45, you know, like, these guys take the miles differently in that division. And, um, yeah, I would love to see him get a title shot. You know, he, he's definitely um, – He's definitely in, in a hurry to get there, you know, like time isn't in his favor. So I don't mind that at all, man, especially with uh, things like injuries and, you know, I guess COVID still might be a thing. Who knows? But, you know, it, just to keep him around and maybe he can jump in there for a title shot. Um, if someone gets hurt in the future, if they try to run the, the fourth fight back or, or whatever, depending on the, the third fight goes. Well, come December, he will actually be the oldest person to ever challenge, if he gets a title shot, to ever challenge for a title at any weight class from 155 and below. So any men's weight class, below lightweight and below, he would be the oldest guy to challenge for a title. That's awesome, man. That, that's super cool. Uh, dude, he's exciting, man. He, he's game. It didn't look like he missed a beat out there against Cater. Cater's super tough, as tough as they come. Um, very crisp boxing, and, and Emmett was able to have a very competitive fight and won. You know, on the scorecards, he won. So um, I love that. Yeah, it'd be cool to see a 37-year-old Josh Emmett get a title shot. And, and he's exciting. You know, he's not a boring fighter. He's looking to... 
to finish the fight at every moment possible. So I'm all for it. Like, uh, I, I would love to see bald Volkanovski and bald Emmett go at it, just throwing, slugging big hooks for five rounds like that. Uh, that sounds like a good time. And yeah, that was actually the first fight that he's had that he hadn't in his featherweight career. We hadn't registered a knockdown. So he's he's been knocking people down. The most knockdowns in the history of the featherweight division. So like you said, very exciting fighter. Let's go to the co-main. Kevin Holland. This guy looks like a total beast at 170 pounds. If you've been watching this sport for a long time, and I know you have as someone who competes in the sport, since you were a puppy, Tim Means has been, has been doing the damn thing. And he's one of the toughest guys in the game. For Kevin Holland to put that kind of a beating on him, I think speaks volumes. Yeah, and then finish it the way he did and, and, and then sub him, you know. Uh, that was that made it that more impressive. Obviously, he kind of knocked him out on the feet first and then got the sub. But still impressive for him to finish with uh, the Dars. Um, man, yeah, Kevin won me a lot of money on, on, on Saturday. Uh, I, w- I was pretty heavy on Kevin. Uh, I feel like his grappling's gotten a lot better. He's fighting in, in the right weight class now. You know, I, I don't care what my girlfriend says. Size matters, man. Like, <laughs> uh, So for Kevin to be fighting in the right weight class, um, I feel like the grappling's, his grappling's gotten a lot better. I saw him compete in a grappling uh, tournament back in December. And he looked great, man. He looked great. Uh, his wrestling looked great, and his jiu-jitsu looked great. So I felt like the improvements were being made, and and I feel like at 85, people thought his grappling sucked, but I think it was just the size thing, you know. I don't think uh, I don't think his grappling was ever bad, to be honest. You know, he's a black belt under Travis Luter, and uh, I think he's he's a, he's a problem at 170. And um, I think it was kind of a wake up call for a lot of a lot of people that underestimate his grappling. I know Means didn't really shoot for takedowns much, but I do feel like Holland's uh, grappling overall, jiu-jitsu and wrestling, is underrated. Well, lots of fun matchups for him to come at 170 pounds. I know he called out Sean Brady. I mean, that's a pretty daring call out. Nobody seems to be calling out Sean Brady. Yeah, yeah. After I just credited Holland's uh, grappling so much, that's a tough matchup, brother. Um, obviously, Holland can get it done on the feet, but Brady's not done. He's going to be shooting uh, very often, you know. Um, that's a tough matchup. I, I honestly wouldn't like to see that. I feel like Brady's at the, the top of the division right now, and, and Holland's not necessarily in that upper echelon right now. I, there's some fun matchups at 170. Um, him and Chiesa would be fun. Um, yeah. Uh, if that Brady fight does happen, I know he's having a hard time finding an opponent. I'm all for it. You know, I, I, I won't complain. I'll buy it. But uh, there's, I think there's some other matches to be made before that, that fight happens. I've heard Wonderboy as a possible opponent for Holland as well, which I love. That would be a fun one. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> I like that, man. Joaquin Buckley defeats Albert Duraev. Now, this is a question that I've been dying to ask you. People were talking about going into this that Duraev was kind of big brothering Buckley during training sessions that they'd had in the past. But the one thing I keep hearing, and I'm sure that you can validate this, wrestlers always get the better of people in training because wrestling is, you know, any sort of grappling, while it does, I'm sure it's, of course, painful if you're getting in and out of submissions, compared to striking, you can actually put 100% into your grappling in training, whereas when it comes to striking, you're really not trying to knock someone out when you're training against them, you know, giving people concussions in the lead up to fights. So what happens in training between a grappling-based fighter and a striking-based fighter can almost get thrown out the window. Yeah, 100%. And even just as a generalization, like, training's training, man. Like, the, the, the intentions aren't, aren't always there. Like, we saw it. We've seen it in the past. People are like, oh, I used to beat this guy up in training. We saw it with Cody and TJ. And there's been uh, other, other um, examples of that. Um, training's training, man. It's a, it's a little different. I did have Drive winning that fight um, going into it. I, I had... I actually had drive pretty heavy into that fight. Um, uh, I had the over one and a half as well, which didn't hit. But yeah, I, I just felt like um, 
you know, Buckley proved a lot of people wrong, man. Um, I, I did think Drive was the, the more well-rounded fighter. I thought uh, Buckley would, would gas pretty quick, and he's just this explosive uh, explosive guy that if he doesn't get you out of there in the first, um, he's going to have a hard time uh, keeping that, that power in the later rounds. But, man, he impressed me. He, he looked really good. Um, yeah, I just kind of pitched a shutout against Drive. Uh, Drive didn't, didn't really have any success in, in that first round. And, yeah, Buckley looked really good, man. I feel like he's turned a corner. Yeah, it looks great. And I mean, he's a phenomenal striker, great athlete. And I think that when it comes to a matchup like that, where you have somebody who's going to be wrestle, 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 especially with the judges' criteria and people becoming more knowledgeable of it, those kind of game plans aren't working as well as they used to. Now, I know your coach, James Krause, has wanted uh, to get in there with Buckley. Do you think we ever see that fight? I doubt it, man. It's been offered to Buckley a couple times, and he he said no. Um Look, Buckley's tiny at 85, which which was also a big factor in me playing drive heavy from uh, the betting perspective. Um, Buckley's very small for for 85. He walks 85. He doesn't have to cut any weight to make the the weight class. Um, he fought most of his career at 70, and man, I, I know Kraus was down to fight him at 85. Um, I, I don't think we ever see that fight, man. But you know, those guys don't like each other. Um, I totally understand that. I heard they got into it at the at the fighter hotel this past week, and. Um, regardless, I, I don't think we ever see that fight. I don't think Buckley wants that smoke, but I, I, I definitely watched that fight ever happen. That that would be very exciting. And uh, I think Kraus, the way he fights is the perfect way to, to, to beat Buckley. I just think Kraus doesn't like guys that have a chip on their shoulder. I mean, he's a, he's a coach now. The last thing you want is guys that have a chip on their shoulder that, uh, that think that uh, their stuff don't stink. 100%. That's, that's a great way to describe that, brother. Demiraz Magulov, Guram Kutata Ledze. This was a, a really fun fight as well. Very technical and uh, very close. How did you have this one scored? I don't know how many drinks deep. You said very, you were seven deep in the main close. event, so I don't know how many you were deep into the uh, <laughs> the, the third fight of the evening. I, I was I was sober enough to enjoy this fight uh, as a fan of the sport. Um, yeah, these guys are both. It's crazy, man. These guys are so talented, and they're they're like not even up there in the division. You know, like these guys are both really really good. And, uh, yeah, I enjoyed this fight a lot, man. Um, very, very close. I, I thought it could have went either way. I'm glad Demir won because I had money on Demir. Um, but it wasn't the way I thought the fight would go, man. I, I thought uh, it would be one-way traffic for Demir. I know uh, I can't pronounce his name, but the other guy had a win over uh, Gamrot. Um, so I wasn't sleeping on him. I just thought Demir had um, what it took on, on, on the feet to kind of shut him out. And I knew that the wrestling would kind of cancel each other out. Um, but I was wrong, man. I, I was very impressed from both these guys. And, Honestly, the fight could have went either way, and I would have been mad. Isn't Maybe Magula a little because I had money on Demir. Yeah, Ismagula by decision <laughs> is like an auto bet for me. Like, the guy's just, he's, he's so good. He, he, he makes people play his game. To Guram's credit, actually, though, I think he was able to take Demir out of his game for just a little bit of that fight. And if there's other fighters out there that can do that to him, easier said than done. But I think those are the guys that are going to have some success with him. 100%. 100%. We spoke about Julian's fight uh, a little bit earlier. Anything you want to add on that? Um, in my opinion, going in, I thought that Julian was going to survive early and get a late submission, but uh, obviously it didn't play out that way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Robocop isn't known to, to have the best cardio, so uh, Julian's a dog, man. He, he can keep the same pace for, for three rounds and, and can fight tired. So um, had it gone past that first round, I, I could see Julian having put it on him and then eventually getting him out of there. We knew uh, Robocop's a mofo for one round man he's tough hits hard great grappling not and this isn't trying to discredit robocop at all the guy's a freak athlete just look at his build you know um but yeah just just a bummer the way it went i feel like uh, julian was doing a great job of working that low kick landed a couple times and then 
threw one kind of naked, got caught with a, a two one across jab, jab landed around the chin. And he was kind of rocked for the rest of the fight until it was over. Um, not to harp on, you know, not to cry or spill milk, but it's, uh, you know, when, you, when you're hurt, it's not the best idea to try to brawl with the guy. You, you should try to grab a hold of him, clinch up. Um, and I think it was just a fight IQ thing. And I also think it was just, uh, you know, he was half unconscious. So, like, you don't make the best decisions when you're half unconscious. He knows that now. Looking back at it, we talked about the fight. But, uh, man, if you're hurt, do not brawl with the guy. Grab a hold of him. Try to get your wits back about you because um, you're at a disadvantage, right? If you're hurt and the other guy's not hurt and you guys start brawling, you're already going in there with, like, a 70-30 split percentage of you being able to, to win that brawl. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's a lot of good things to take away from that fight. Julian showed beautiful back defense while being half unconscious against a top of the food chain grappler. Um, yeah, tough fight, man. Uh, congrats to RoboCop. He, he looked good. Yeah, I'm sure Julian will bounce back into his next one. It was, uh, he was throwing big bombs during that brawl at yeah. the end. I was thinking yeah. he, if he catches yeah. them, just who knows what's going to happen. I mean, you can say you, you don't want to get into a brawl there, but I mean, if you get hit with one of the those big shots from Julian, and he was throwing everything into those. I mean, you could throw hammers. the playbook out the yeah. window. 100%, yeah. He was throwing hammers, man. And, um, you know, you, you just want to recover first before you start brawling like that. I, I, I like Julian in a brawl against Robocop 100%. I'll take him all day as long as he's 100% conscious and, he, and he's there. And I just don't feel like he was when he started to, to brawl with, uh, with Gregory. Now, your Iridium stablemate, Adrian Yanez, had a big night. He's now ranked number 15 in the bantamweight division after dispatching of Tony Kelly in that fight. He had, uh, he had Brazil behind him. He had Texas behind him. The guy couldn't lose that night. But the thing that I admired most about Adrian is he was in a pretty emotional state of mind going into the fight and after the fight. But during the fight, he put that all aside. He picked his shots. He, he went in there with precision. He never got sloppy. And I thought that it was just a marvelous surgical win for him. Yeah, yeah, that man, that kid is nasty. I call him a kid, but I think I think he's older than me. Yeah, he's he's good, man. Calm, cool, and collected in there, despite all the the BS outside of uh, outside of the fight or leading up to the fight. Dude's good, man. Just super precise striker. Um, timing's clean. Really nice counter fighter. I'd like to see him just like nitpicking a little bit. I'd like to see him feign a little bit more just to draw out the counters. But man, that kid's crisp. Like very very solid boxing and and look, look great, man. Perhaps the surprise performance of the night was Natalia Silva beating Jasmine Jazdavicious. And I know how good Jasmine is. She's been, I've seen her in the regional scene for many years. She got a late start in the sport. I think she was 27 when she first started training. So she's still pretty new to the sport. And I think this was a good learning experience for her. But Natalia Silva looked absolutely phenomenal. I don't think anybody knew much about her because she was a two, more than 2-1 to one underdog. And she just put it on Jasmine. Two thirty twenty six scorecards in this one. Um, I think that she's got a major future in this division. She looked great, man. Her ability to fight backwards. Uh, I was I was very impressed with Silva, despite losing a ton of money on um I can't pronounce the last name. Jazza Vicious. Yeah. Jazza Vicious. Uh, Jasmine. Um yeah, man, I I was surprised. I, I I watched her tape index and I didn't see anything that was too uh, too threatening to Jasmine. I thought Jasmine would be the bigger girl. I thought she'd be able to uh, take her down and control her just being the bigger girl. Um I think I thought she had a size advantage in the fight, but um she was she was a slower girl, man. She looked like it looked like Silva was on like 1.5 speed and, and Jasmine was on, you know, just one, just her regular speed. And Silva's ability to, to move and strike was great. And, um, yeah, I, I was very impressed with her. I think her record is, um, and it's a little, little deceitful with, with the females because sometimes their records aren't the best, but it doesn't reflect their skills too much. And I feel like that's the perfect uh, case for Silva because I, I think when I looked her up, she was like 11 and five or 10 and five, not the best record. Right. But, um, she looked great. <laughs> She, she looked really good, and I, I was impressed with her despite losing a ton of money. 
I think only 26 years old. So imagine if you, Jeff Molina, stepped away from the sport for two and a half years but continued to train. How much better we'd see you in two and a half years. I think that's the thing that people kind of didn't uh, give her credit for, is that she's still so young. And while there can be cage rust, if you're getting in there after a long time off, you're also learning so much all the time. And when you're in your 20s, that's when you're learning the fastest and learning the most. So kudos to her. I think she's got a bright future. And another surprising outcome, I would say, is Jeremiah Wells getting the knockout over Court McGee. McGee only been stopped by Ponzinibbio. The era of Ponzinibbio was putting everybody out in the welterweight division. But Jeremiah Wells looks like the real deal. In fact, all these guys training out in Philly with Daniel Gracie, that's quite the stable. Yeah, yeah. Wells is a freak athlete, super explosive. Uh, Buckley-esque in the, in the striking and the explosiveness. Um, yeah, uh, I played, I'm talking like betting-wise because I'm a full-blown degenerate. So I did play Court McGee by decision. Uh, I, I know he hadn't been finished in like 17 fights. Super durable guy. He's been hit with big shots. Um, yeah, just uh, been around the sport forever. Knows how to win fights. Knows how to use his grappling. Knows how to how to how to milk the clock to to, to win on the scorecards. And um, I am very very happy. I played Wells in round one at really good odds. I think it was five to one odds, um, which helped me hedge uh, my Court McGee play. Um, yeah. I, I figured if, if Wells got him out of there in the first, it would be the same way he did it, just an explosive knockout. You know, splits the guard very well. And, um, yeah, I'm really glad I played Wells first round. Otherwise, that, that Court McGee by decision would have hurt pretty bad. Yeah, see, later on in the show, I have Adam Martin on to preview next week's card. i got to start having you on for that version of that part of the show where you're making picks. That's the part that, that I need is Let's Jeff Molina's picks. Let's do it. I'm a full-blown degenerate, man. I spent hours a week watching uh, tape index on these guys. and This is how I make money when I'm not fighting, man. It's, it's how I've been able to pay my bills for the last eight or nine months since I started this. I think I started last August. And uh, when I'm not fighting, man, you know, if, if I'm, not, I'm fighting three times a year, uh, in, the, in between, this is how I'm making money and paying bills. What's Jeff Molina's greatest hit since you've started? What's, what's the big one that you've hit? One that comes to mind, I played Aaron Blanchfield by decision against Miranda Maverick. I don't remember the odds. I, I just know that it was really, really good, and I played it heavy. Uh, I felt like the odds were a little disrespectful to Blanchfield in that fight. Um, I'd, I'd watched her tape index. I'm like, dude, this girl's, this girl's really good. Um, and, and female fights are very hard to cap because there's, there's so, so many more variables. Um, but I, really, I was really confident in that play, and it hit. And uh, I, I did, yeah, it hit very, very well. I was able to cash out, and uh, it, was, it was a good night. For me, Pena, round two sub was my big hit over Nunes. Oof. No, I'm just, I'm not that man. smart. I'm just, I'm just playing. Oh, I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, I was like, man, I need to start hitting you up for these picks. I think the biggest finish of the night, Ricardo uh, Hamosh against uh, Danny Chavez. I'm sure you were taking notes. I have a feeling Jeff Molina is going to score one of those at some point in your career. I would love it, man. I've had dreams about knocking someone out with a spinning elbow. Um, <laughs> yeah, man, he he looked great. He's such a pre- precise striker. Chavez is tough. Uh, I'm not sure if he's ever been knocked out. Um, uh, yeah, it, it was just he's a very precise striker. Almost had a close fight with the um, that Russian guy. I forgot his name um, earlier this year, and he looked good, man. Uh, I had Ramos in that fight uh, again. I'm talking from the betting perspective. I played Ramos. I think I had him in two parlays, and he looked really good, man. Uh, he set up the elbow, made uh, Chavez walk into it almost, kind of circle into it and landed flush, and that was all she wrote. And you spoke about the volatility of some of these women's fights in terms of betting. Uh, my pick last week, the one that did really well for me, was Maria Oliveira. I'm starting to look at it when you have these unranked women's fighters, and you're seeing some as 3-1 to one favorites, and you got underdogs that are 2-1. to one. Natalia Silva is another good example. 
it seems like a lot of them have been coming through lately. Yeah, yeah. You know, that that was another one. I This was probably the worst betting weekend I've had in, in months, you know. Um, and, and it was, man, a lot of the dogs won. Uh, Buckley won. Uh, Silva won. Maria Oliveira won. Yep. Is that how you say her name? Mm-hmm. Uh, Maria, uh, there, there's more. That, uh, there was a lot of dogs that, that won. Of the- Emmett was another one. Uh, the Leedsay. The Leedsay was another one, yeah. It was it was a dog weekend, man, and, and that happens. You know, sometimes the, the odds don't reflect uh, the fighters, or you know, it, it's also and in the sport, the margin of error is so small, and anything can happen. And, and the better fighter doesn't always win. I'm not saying that's what happened this past weekend, but that's definitely a factor in the sport, um, and that's why it's it's gambling. You know, when, when you put money on these guys, but um, Maria was another one that that impressed me. You know, I I wasn't too. Um, Watching her tape index, I wasn't too impressed with her, and I, Gloria was like my lock of the week, and and uh, I felt like it was just a volume versus a low volume, you know. Even though Gloria, I felt like was landing the, the harder strikes, it, it was just a, a volume aspect in that fight. See, I was on the flip side of that. I I actually wasn't impressed with DePaula aside from her last fight. I thought her last fight against Belbita was probably her career best performance, but. The problem is the quality of wins weren't very high. Like her win on Contender Series, you look at who she beat. It was a 4-0 opponent. You think, wow, that's great. But if you look at who the 4-0 person won, uh, had beaten before, they, she didn't beat anybody with a single win on their record, right? So you have to yeah. take that into account when you're doing the deep dive. So Maria Oliveira, I also wasn't super impressed with what I saw from her, but I just thought at those odds, if I have two fighters where I haven't been blown away by their performances, you know, it's anyone's game. It's a coin flip, right? So... That's the way I, I approached it. And I'm not trying to demean or diminish either of these fighters. They're both great fighters. And again, like I said, I thought DePaulo's last performance was her career best. But, you know, it's just kind of the way you got to look at it from, from this particular perspective when you're trying to handicap these things. Yeah. Yeah. No, no I agree, man. Uh, the, the deep dives, especially when it comes to – I do really well in contender series, man. Um, so I, I do the deep dive. I watch the tape index. And I don't really put uh, records into play because those can be a little deceptive. Um, so I, I, I watch the tape and I, and I go off, uh, you know, the styles and the way they fight versus, uh, who they be in, you know, look at that. Well, I'm not going to call you a part-time fighter for putting, making this your part-time job, but you know, it's a, it's a pretty solid career if you can get one. Uh, Cody Stamen, <laughs> less than a minute to defeat Eddie Wineland. This is, I believe his first finish in the UFC. Um, like you said, anybody can get caught at any time. And uh, that's what happened here. Eddie Stamen decide, uh, sorry, Eddie Wineland rather uh, hangs up the gloves after the fight. Great career. One of the, the top bantamweights for a period of time. But you know, at, at some point in time, it's time to go. And I, I guess for Eddie Wineland, that was uh, this past weekend. Yeah, Aaron, uh, Wyland's a legend uh, in, in that division. You know, he helped build 135, one of those WEC guys. Um, I do feel like, you know, maybe maybe the retirement could have came a little earlier, but that's from an outside perspective. You know, I've always said I want to leave the sport sport a little early than too late. Um, not saying that's what Eddie did, but, uh, man, uh, I told my manager if, if Stamen pulls out of this fight, I, I'm willing to step up on a day's notice to fight Eddie Wyland. Um I, I just think... You know, I, I, thought, I thought he was a little, a little over the hill. Again, not to demean him. Um, Stamen looked great, man. He did what he, what he was supposed to do. Uh, I feel like uh, Wallen's kind of been a, a shell of himself these last couple fights. And, um, yeah, I think Stamen did exactly what he had to do. All right, two more to quickly break down. Phil Haas defeats Darren Wynn and – or Duran Wynn, rather. Now, what Duran Wynn lacks in stature, he makes up for in heart. I mean, he's, he hung in there for as long as humanly possible in that one. Dude's a dog, man, but he took some damage on Saturday, man. Um some 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 big shots um yeah dude dude's as tough as they come I, I feel like having that much of a size disadvantage in that division 
you have to come out a certain way every fight. You have to be up in someone's face. You have to be looking to clinch up. And I feel like early on he didn't do that. Maybe he felt something in there that uh, I didn't see. Maybe he got hit with the big shot early on that, that kind of um, made him second guess uh, his game plan or, or what he had to do. to. But, man, when you're five foot – dude, I'm five foot seven. Yeah, five so foot nine on ten. Two inches like, t- taller than uh, than Duran. <laughs> yeah, like, and I fight at one twenty five, man. Like, you're at a serious disadvantage, like at eighty five, man. Um, so, which is fine if if you're gonna fight a certain way. Like, you got to be up on someone's face, grabbing a hold of them, shooting, repeated, like repeatedly shooting, um, just making it dirty, man. You can't stay on the outside of these guys that are so much taller and longer than you. And I just feel like um, he didn't do that, man. So. Uh, yeah that's tough man like every fight you're gonna be going into with the big big size disadvantage and um i'm not sure what the answer is for him but phil hall's looked great his uh him elbowing excuse me him elbowing the clinch from that clinch range was nasty uh look great man the dude couldn't miss the, the front kicks up the middle to, to kind of um to kind of make uh, the shot a little more timid were great and um yeah his shot selection just looked really good and finally, Roman Delize defeats Kyle Dawkins. I, I, I saw Dawkins on just about everybody's power lay, so I'm sure a lot of tickets got ripped up in about a minute and 13 seconds into the car. Yeah, my, mine included, man. I, I had Dawkins heavy. I didn't see a path to victory for the leads um, until I – so I walked into the venue. I walked in a little late. Uh, we had to pick up our tickets first. Um, and as I'm walking in, I look I look at the cage. like uh, we're, we're walking in from like upstairs to get down to the first floor. And I, I see the knee land, and I'm like, oh, my God. And the dude just, you know, he flatlines. And, yeah, it was impressive, man. I, I did not see uh, I did not see that coming. That was kind of the the story all night was, wow, I did not see that coming. Um, a lot of upsets, a lot of dogs winning, and that was one of them. Um, I, I didn't catch the whole fight. I haven't, I haven't watched it. I just saw that from the clinch, a little cheeky knee from the side. And I heard it, man. Like, dude, the, the crowd went wild. Because everyone in the, in the in the arena heard the shot, it, just, it sounded like a snap. It was like, and like, yeah, yeah. We just saw the, the after effects and Dawkins go down, and yeah, it was an impressive win by Deletes. I, I don't know how the fight was going before that. I'm not sure how long it lasted. I know it was a first round finish, but Deletes uh, landed a clean knee, man. All right, well, that's a wrap for the recap. Are you going to be at International Fight Week next week? I will not, brother. I will not. I'll be in Vegas for uh, on the ninth for my my guy David Onama. He's fighting Austin Lingo on that card. So I'll be in Vegas for, for that guy. And you're not there for TJ Brown this weekend. Yeah, not, not for TJ. I won't be in Vegas, but uh, I'm excited for him, man. Uh, I'm rooting for him. It's a good fight for him. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to watch him go to work. Well, his opponent has added 10 wins to his record since he last fought in the UFC. I don't know if you're aware of this, but they, they did a deep dive. Yeah. They did a deep dive like they did on that, uh, Askar Masharov guy, but it went the other way. The guy had like 10 more wins than, uh, than his record. You're going to have it a certain way. That's the way you want it. That's (laughs) the way you want it. Um, that's, uh, that's interesting, man. I I don't know that. Um, I'm going to talk to Krauss later and I'm going to bring that up. (laughs) Yeah, you you probably should. Well, I mean, as long as he has one more loss next week, that's what matters, uh, for, for you and your camp. (laughs) Yeah. 100%. (laughs) Well, thank you for doing this with me. Coming up next, we're going to have the news and notes with James Lynch, followed by a preview of this weekend's weekend's card, headlined by Armand Sarukian and Mateusz Gamrat with Adam Martin. Thanks for doing this, Jeff, and uh, I'll talk to you again soon. Of course, brother. Thanks for having me, my man. And we move on to this week's headlines with James Lynch. Very happy to be joined by James Lynch, a friend of mine for many years in this industry and a fellow Canadian who I'm actually going to see for the first time in what, like three years or something like that when we see each other in Las Vegas in uh, just a couple weeks' time. 
Yes, looking forward to it, Aaron. It's been a while, and uh, what an honor it is to be on the first ever uh, part of your podcast with the headlines. I, I'm really uh, excited, and thank you for having me on, man. Yeah, we're switching the format up a little bit. Joe's not able to join me on as regular of a basis, so we're gonna we're gonna switch things up. Do some headlines, do some recaps, some look-aheads, but with some people that I, I trust and enjoy speaking with, and you fall into that category for sure. So before we get started, I'm curious, this past weekend, of course, a massive card in Austin, discussed it earlier in the show, was just wondering what you thought was the biggest surprise in your favorite finish from a card that really stood out among the cards of this year, especially after UFC 275 delivered the goods. Well, uh, I should preface this by saying I watched the card after the fact. I was away this weekend, but uh, my goodness, there was uh, Mike Bond, I think, had the stat. There was, I think, five fighters that had their first uh, knockout loss on the weekend. Um, a, lot, a lot of different surprises. I, I think the thing that surprised me the most maybe was um, just how well Josh Emmett did over over five rounds. Like, I was really worried about, you know, how would the five-round experience be, but he was firing on all cylinders right up till the, fu- till the final bell, and uh, I thought it looked great uh, on Saturday. Um, I, I'm just trying to think of, like, anything that was surprising. I think there was a a lot of things that just sort of oh Jeremiah Wells knocking out uh, Court McGee would would be up there too. I wasn't I, Wells is great, but I didn't think that uh, he would be able to finish Court McGee just with how durable McGee's been throughout his career. So that was maybe one other surprise too. What was your favorite finish? Oh, it's got to be uh, Adrian Yanez over over uh, Tony Kelly just because of everything that went into it and Yanez to keep his composure and do it in his hometown. I mean, that that for me was about as good as it gets in terms of a storyline. And, you know, I, I know people hate the comparison to pro wrestling, but you do like that uh, heading into a fight like this. People are more invested. And I just see a guy like Yanez, who's very uncharacteristically, uh, you know, went out there and, and flipped off Tony Kelly, but understandable with everything that went into that fight. But I thought that was interesting as someone who's followed Yanez's career for a long time to see him get you know kind of worked at, at kelly was was interesting and uh just the fight played out perfectly for him i think i like the hamosh finish just in terms of highlight reel potential i know it was very similar to the one that he had yeah. against Eamon zahabi but to do that again in a fight uh, that's pretty unbelievable yeah and danny chavez i think he was another guy that had his first knockout loss so for ramos to go do that take care of business i know he didn't get to have the camp he wanted a team alpha male for him to go out there and do that very impressive and uh, a guy that is you know still continuing to pick up big wins in that in that weight class I don't care if you're Danny Chavez, Danny Zuko, Daniel Serafian. You're going to get hit with that elbow. You're going out. I mean, it was perfect precision. Yeah, it was. And and I think it just speaks to, you know, not writing guys off so early. Ramos is still a young fighter in that weight class. I know some people when he, you know, had had a few setbacks earlier in his career, they were sort of writing him off. But this is the type of win that I think reminds people of the talent level and, and just how good this guy is in the weight class. So really excited to see what's next for him because he looked outstanding on Saturday. Well, Danny Zuko definitely would have gone out. That I can say with uh, with perfect with perfect <laughs> clarity. Sure, yeah. um, Aljamain Sterling, he wants a pay bump before he faces TJ mm-hmm. Dillashaw. Will he get one? And if he doesn't, do you still see the fight happening in the September timetable that's been, I guess, rumored for it to happen? Yes, he deserves a pay bump. He's the champion. Uh, he had to endure a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of things heading into the the rematch with Jan. I mean, let's be honest. A lot of people did not want Sterling to win because of the whole situation with their first fight. Um, if you're a champion, you should be paid like a champion. So I think, you know, he's he's got a case here. Will the UFC give it to him? Probably not. Um, you know, they've shown that they can be uh, sort of, uh, you know, they can be a bit stubborn when it comes to paying fighters. And we're seeing that right now with John Jones and so many other fighters. I think they'll stand their ground. And, uh, and, and I think they could potentially go with an interim title. I know that sounds crazy, but look what they did last year to Francis Naganu and they, they did the interim title with Derek Lewis and Cyril Gaon. I think it's possible. I hope we get the fight. I think it's really interesting with Dillashaw and, uh, and Aljamain Sterling, but I, I think, 
you know, right now I, I see both sides of it. I also see the UFC side where, you know, hey, is this guy a huge draw? Maybe not. But if you're a UFC champion, you should be paid like a champion. And I think for him to, you know, ask this request as a champion, I think he should he should get it. But I also see the UFC side where they're saying, hey, maybe you're not our biggest draw. So I don't know if it'll as far as it getting resolved. I mean, I'll take the UFC side more often than not over the fighters because usually they get what they want. So I'll say maybe this fight doesn't happen. I think it probably does. Well, here's the thing that I always wonder about. The champions, I believe, are entitled to pay-per-view points. If you're at the UFC, why don't you say, let's work together. Let's do something above and beyond. This is a great fight. TJ Dillashaw never lost the bantamweight title to another fighter while he was the champion, at least in his second reign. So why don't we work together, build this thing up, make it big, and you'll get more money on the back end. I, I mean, it's easier said than done, right? Because the pay-per-view public are going to buy what they're going to buy. But I think this is a really strong fight. And I think that when you have Sterling and the kind of ammunition that you would have against somebody like a TJ Dillashaw, they can really build this fight up. I agree. And I think this is one of the biggest fights you can make in that weight class. I think it's even bigger than Jose Aldo and, and, and Sterling just because of Dillashaw. Not only was he a popular fighter before all the, the steroid stuff happened, he's also someone that now people hate. And so they're invested in that. So I, I think this could it would view very well on pay-per-view. And I'm with you. Why not work with your champion and try and make this happen? Because nobody wants to see an interim title. You want to see the best fight the best right now. And Sterling is the best in that weight class. He proved that in the last fight against Piotr Jan. And I'm with you on Dillashaw, too. I don't know why people have this idea that because he lost it flyweight he shouldn't get his title shot he beat Corey Sanhagen whether you felt it was close it should have gone Corey's way or not he never lost at bantamweight he should get his shot he took his fight against Sanhagen he didn't have to he took it and now he's won and, and he deserves the shot and I just I'm curious how that fight goes because I think it's very interesting I'm with you I'm surprised there's any blowback whatsoever about Dillashaw getting this title shot to me it's a total slam dunk and no-brainer while we're on the subject of the bantamweights a lot of movement finally it has been quiet for a little bit but now we've got some big matchup two confirmed by the promotion you got Aldo taking on Dvalishvili you got Marlon Vera taking on Dominic Cruz in San Diego in Cruz's backyard. And then a third fight between Song Yadong and Cody, uh, Corey Sanhagen, rather, I don't think Corey has Sam. been uh, confirmed just yet. But of those names, if, wh- if one of them, say, gets an emphatic win, let's say all of them get an emphatic win, who gets the title shot uh, of the six that are named there? Ooh, that's interesting. I think Aldo's in the lead right now because, you know, there was talks of Aldo potentially fighting um, – uh, Aljamain Sterling before the Dillashaw sort of announcement because there was a thought that Dillashaw was still uh, he wasn't healthy enough to take the fight and I think Aldo has a strong case with uh, you know the fact that he's racked up a couple really impressive wins he has a win over Chito Vera he has a win over um, you know uh, Rob Fawn as well so th- those look good on the resume so I'd say Aldo's sort of in the lead out of that group there but he doesn't have an easy task I think Mirab Devalishvili might be the most underrated fighter in that weight class I know he took a lot of punishment early in that fight with Marlon Marais but the chin he's got the pace he puts on it's going to be a really interesting matchup but I would favor Aldo there because of the takedown defense I think he can stuff a lot of those and if it stays standing what uh, Marlon Marais wasn't able to do I think Aldo can do and that's finished Marab Devalishvili so I would put uh, Aldo at at the top of the heap uh, regardless and I wonder you know I'm just going to say this quickly I wonder if there was a missed opportunity here with the UFC and I don't know what the status of Piotr Jan is right now but why they didn't do Piotr Jan and Marab because there's that history there with Sterling he'd fight his teammate I think that would have been the more interesting fight but uh, either way, you can't complain with any of those matchups because uh, the bantamweight division, I think, is the most stacked in the UFC. Yeah, if I was booking it, I'd go Sanhagen Vera. I'd go Cruz versus Aldo. I mean, you got the two WEC legends going toe to toe, and I would have mm. done Yan versus Dwalishvili. And if Yan wasn't available, you can do Song Yudong against Dwalishvili. Because I'm, I'm guessing maybe that's why they didn't end up doing the Yan fight. But I would kind of mix the order up a little bit. I think those would be more exciting fights uh, personally. I think those are really fun ones. 
I agree. I also think you could have done Cruz and Sanhagen. There was some history there with uh, there was, a, I believe, a fight they were trying to work work out. Uh, I think it was last year, year before. But yeah, you're right. Like Dominic Cruz, he's only let, let's 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 be honest here. The shelf life for him in his career is, is is closing. Right. It's it's not because of the injuries, because of his age and everything. He's not going to be fighting forever. So you're right. They missed out on doing Jose Aldo and Dominic Cruz, which would have been a massive fight, considering how long these guys have been in the in the UFC and how long they, they had been champion previously. So, um, yeah, I. I Again, you, I'm not complaining about the matchups because they're fun, but I think uh, the order, like you said, could have been a little bit better. Let's stick with the bantamweight division once more. Piotr Jan, who we were just talking about, he's accusing Henry Cejudo of ducking him. Now, Cejudo says he's not uh, interested in fighting, an, and I quote, sorry-ass contender. So what do you think Cejudo's actually after in terms of his next fight? Because if Piotr Jan, a guy who's as high up in the bantamweight division as you could possibly get, is not of interest to Cejudo, what do you think he's after? He's after a title. I think that's what it comes down to. You're not going to come out of retirement to take a contender's fight. I think that's what this comes down to. If Yama is still the champion, maybe we're having a different conversation. But I'm maintaining this, Aaron. I don't think Henry Cejudo ever comes back. I think the money he wants and where he feels he's valued, I don't think the UFC is going to meet him halfway there. And I think the UFC has a bit of a case here. I don't think there's any proof that Henry Cejudo is this big draw that he makes himself out to be. He's got an interesting personality and character. He's an extremely talented fighter, what he's accomplished in the octagon, not taking anything away from that. But I just, it's been so long since we've seen him fight it was 2018 or I, I can't remember when he actually like officially like hung hung up the uh the glove so to speak just temporarily but um I, I don't know like I I get this uh matchup not happening with Jan because it's not for a title I think Cejudo's only looking at gold at this point so he can say he was a you know triple champ or whatever I, I think and, and in this case I think he would want to come back and fight for the bantamweight title as opposed to just fighting a contender if I was Cejudo I'd go after a featherweight contender I, I think that that should be the goal for him is winning the third title uh, in the featherweight division, maybe a Josh Emmett, you know, after this past weekend, if he called out Josh Emmett, I think that would be an awesome fight if if Cejudo really wants to prove that he's caliber, uh, you know, the type of fighter that's, you know, championship caliber in the featherweight division. And I just did the monologue, if you heard at the beginning of the show, making the case for Josh Emmett to get the next shot, because if if his fight for the title goes beyond December, he'll be the oldest guy to ever challenge for the title in a weight class 155 pounds and below. Like the to- the clock is ticking. You got a late start to his career. But he's done, I think, everything that you would ask from somebody who wants to challenge for the featherweight title. But if, if you, you're offered a big fight, potentially with Henry Cejudo, maybe he takes that fight if it's going to guarantee him a title shot. Yeah, I don't know. But that's the thing, though. Like, do you see the UFC giving Cejudo the money he wants to fight Josh Emmett? I don't see that happening. If he's fighting for a title, I could see them bumping up the pay and saying, OK, it's a title fight. But I, listen, as, as like if we're just MMA purists, I 100 percent agree with that fight because that would be very exciting and intriguing, especially the wrestling and so many other things. But I just can't see the UFC paying Henry Cejudo what he wants to fight Josh Emmett uh, and nothing against Emmett. But I just don't think he's that big ticket. If it's Max Holloway, different story. But I think with Josh Emmett, I don't think the UFC would come to terms with what Cejudo wants pay-wise. For the second straight time, we saw a cancellation of Donald Cerrone and Joe Lozon on fight day. I, I mean, that rarely happens. You'll see fights get canceled on more than one occasion, but for them to both be canceled on fight day, I don't think that's ever happened before. Dana White says he's not looking to rebook it. Cerrone still wants to face Lozon, but if that's not going to happen, who would you like to see Cerrone face next? Run it back with Tony Ferguson, do it at 170. That's the solution. 
This is my thing, Aaron. Uh, I, I think with with Cowboy Cerrone and guys like Tony Ferguson that have put their their you know their time, their blood, sweat, and tears into the sport, give the fans a fun fight. Give them that notable opponent here. I kind of like the matchmaking with Cerrone and and Joe Lozon there because they're two fan favorites, and you're putting them together. It's not like you're giving Cerrone like some killer prospect that they're trying to build the prospect's uh, name off of Cerrone's name, so to speak. Um, but but I think this fight is good. You know, their first fight ended prematurely because of the the doctor stoppage and all that. Um, I say run it back at 170. Why does Cerrone want to fight at 155? I don't get it why would you put your body through that when you could have fun fights at 170 not cut that extra weight i think that's the fight to make because people have been asking what's next for ferguson just got knocked out in his last fight i know he had a lot of success early on with chandler but i don't think ferguson's a contender anymore i don't think cerrone is either give the fans a fun rematch at 170 i think that's the fight to make i like that that's an interesting one i haven't heard that yet and i would probably do that at 55 if both guys were amenable to it i get what you're saying about him not putting his body through it but i think if they're both of their natural weight class it's a rematch from, of course, their first fight. That's an interesting one to me because you kind of want to see Ferguson bounce back. And if he can't beat a Cowboy Cerrone, we kind of know where he's at. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. But again, I just don't see the upside for, for I, like, unless you really feel like Ferguson can turn this thing around or same thing with Cerrone. I just think 170 for both guys. You're not cutting that extra weight. We don't have to worry about, you know, fight cancellations or anything. To me, it's just get these guys to fight where they're not cutting as much weight and we'll get a better fight that way. We're not having to worry about, you know, we're not overanalyzing Cerrone's weigh-in pitcher because he's cut too much weight. We can actually just enjoy that they're healthy and they can take on each other. And I just, like, again, if, if Cerrone was a lot younger or Ferguson was a lot younger and maybe they could turn this around, I would absolutely say 155 is the way to go. But both these guys aren't fighting for a title, uh, not anytime soon anyways. And I, I, I don't think maybe ever at this point uh, with the fact that, you know, both have had you know, a lot of injuries, a lot of layoffs. They're getting up there in age. 170, Tony Ferguson, Donald Cerrone. And that's why you had me on, Aaron. I'm thinking outside the box here compared to some other guests, I would imagine. But these guys have both fought like over 30 UFC fights. But what about Jim Miller? Have they fought each other? Because maybe I'm forgetting. But did Cerrone ever fight Jim Miller? He, I believe he did, didn't he? Didn't he finish Jim Miller? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe I'm wrong about I, that. I, I, they've I had, again, you, you're, we're trying to remember so many different fights that these guys have had. That maybe they have fought each other, but I think that would be a good rematch if they have fought each other, or if they haven't fought each other, let's, let's sign it up at 155 pounds. Yeah, I got to double check that. But yeah, that, that's exactly what I'm talking about, though. Like, I would Ferguson and you know, and Cerrone fight like a fellow veteran as a way to kind of you know taper off their career, like they did. Um, you know, like like even with this Lozon matchup, like I mentioned, at least it's two like fight of the night guys that we've seen before. Uh, th that's what they should be doing. They should not be giving them like, you know, Tony Ferguson should not be fighting Grant Dawson. Do you know what I mean? Nothing against Grant, but I'm just saying that like Ferguson should not be fighting a guy that is going to use him to build their name off of. They should be doing sort of the veteran send off, which is I like the Miller fight, too. I think Miller's uh, another guy in that category. Well, you were correct. They did fight back in 2014. Headlined the fight night card and Cerrone did get the finish against uh Jim Miller, I mean, how many fights do, do you think each of them have had since then? If we're talking eight years ago, <laughs> it's probably been like, I don't know, 20 each, maybe? Was, uh, one year, Cerrone fought like six times, didn't he, in, in one year or something crazy? The, that was the thing. He used to call it the Donald Cerrone schedule. He was fighting like every month. So, um, yeah, there's probably like 20 fights since then, I'm sure. Well, maybe not that high, but you know, a lot, a lot is what I'm getting at. I have pretty good recall with most fighters, but with Cerrone, it's kind of a crapshoot. Uh, Eddie Wineland announces his retirement. Uh, KO loss to Cody Stamen. Uh, in the first round, I think it's the first KO or first finish that Stamen's had in the uh, the UFC, if I'm not mistaken. But what's your most memorable Eddie Wineland moment? When you think Eddie Wineland, what uh, what do you think back on? 
Oh man, there's so many. Um, you know what? I'll, one I, I no one will talk about because he lost that fight. But do you remember when he fought Henan Brown Toronto? He actually held his own pretty good in that first round, and I know he got finished in the second round. But just a guy that you know just was your typical blue collar fighter that that went out there, gave it his all. There's not like one particular highlight that stands out, but just the fact that he made it to a title shot all that all of those ages ago, and he's still fighting. I think the longevity of of Eddie Wineland is something to to behold. And he was smart about his career. You know, if you look at it leading into this fight, he was fighting about once a year. He wasn't, you know, going out there trying to do a ton of harm to his body. I know he ended up losing a lot of those fights, but uh, still, I, I just think for me to see a guy that, you know, didn't really excel in any area for him to get that title shot back in the day in Toronto of all places, I thought was really cool. So that's one that that, that kind of stands out for me. I was going to say that one, which kind of had a weird finish. If you remember, Eddie kind of was contesting that finish. It seemed like it got finished a little bit too soon. But uh, the Scott Jorgensen fight in WEC was an awesome fight. Yeah, go back and watch that, that one. Was, I mean, that was a classic. Yeah, and you don't see too many. I mean, these WEC guys. I mean, there's only a handful of them left, so it's good to see one of the uh, one of the OGs, Eddie Wineland. You know, go. I mean, it's obviously not good to go out on a knockout loss, but he's got a lot to be proud of. That one thing you got to give Wineland credit for. He fought some of the toughest guys in that weight class. You look at the resume of the guys that he's had to compete against. Uh, it's just, it's you know, it's like an all-star team right there. So uh, credit to him and wish him all the best. I know, I believe he has a career now outside of fighting. I think it's firefighting or something. I can't remember off the top of my head, but he's uh, doing well from what I hear, which is which is great to hear. Savit Magomed Sharapov officially announced his retirement last week. It's been speculated for years at this point in time. Now, everybody's saying he's one of the big what-if questions in MMA history, but instead of saying what-if, why don't we just ask what-if? If you took the best version of Zabit that we saw and put him up against this version of Volkanovski that's tearing through people, would he have stood a chance? No. I think he would have lost. And I know I'm going to get a lot of hate for that, but that's true. Like, I don't think there's any evidence of him. Uh, and and it's, it's, it's kind of not fair to that too because there was a lot of fights he was supposed to have that didn't end up happening right injuries like if you look at who's the beat fought in the ufc his only notable opponent that he fought and beat was calvin cater and that was a three-round fight so we didn't even really get to see him go five rounds get get to see him really excel a lot like had he gone out there and you know beat calvin cater in the first round and granted we're talking about a guy who max holloway you know couldn't even finished over five rounds because of how durable calvin cater is but if we had that moment where he did that i might give him a chance against a guy like volkanovsky and i think it would be an interesting fight but there's just no evidence for me of him beating high-level opponents for me to comfortably say here that he would give Volkanovski a run for his money I mean certainly he does some cool stuff like you know we saw the submission he had I think it was in the Brandon Davis fight or you know him finishing him going to war with Kyle Bokniak you know things of that nature but that's not enough for me to say this is a guy that would beat Max Holloway or Volkanovski I just don't see it yet so it is a what-if in the sense of it's too bad we never got to really see him get that Yair Rodriguez fight because I think that was another test for him to see if he could pass and potentially get a title shot but I, I also don't – I'm not going to sit here and say he would have been champion. I, I'm, I'm not ready to make that argument. Yeah, that's, that's one of the, the big fights that got away was him versus Yair Rodriguez. In fact, they basically let Yair Rodriguez get away from the promotion as a result of how that was handled. And now, of course, Yair's back facing Brian Ortega soon. I just think Zabit would have been such a tough matchup for anybody just to, in terms of training for him because he was just so all over the place in terms of what he did in there. I would have loved to see it. I don't know how he would have fared, honestly, because I don't know – you know. The best version of him might have done okay, but it's hard to really know because, like you said, we didn't really see him against the highest level of competition outside of that one cater fight. Uh, Jessica Andrade, in a surprise move in my opinion, is replacing Caitlin Chukagian to face Manon Fioro in Paris. Do you think that it makes sense for Andrade to move up to 125 pounds again after just beating Amanda Lemos in a main event at 115 pounds? 
Yeah, I was a little confused by that, too. I, I'm guessing she feels like it's, an, you know, maybe a clearer path to a title shot, although we have a new champion at 115. And in Carla Esparza, I figured the performance she had in her last fight might, you know, make her close to, to getting that title shot. So um, maybe she doesn't want to cut the extra weight. I don't know. Maybe she saw something in, in the opponent where she feels like maybe she can take advantage of that. But um yeah, I, I don't really have an answer. I, I think because you can't even, like I said, you can't even make the argument that there's there's maybe an easier path to a title. I think if anything, Strawway would have been the better deal because of the fact that she, um, I, has she faced Carla? I was trying to remember. No, I, I, I If it was, it was. Yeah, so that that's what I mean. It would be a fresh matchup. Getting a rematch against Valentina when she fought her last year, probably not going to happen. So, and then you had the whole issue with Shevchenko and Santos. Do you do a rematch there? I don't know. But um, yeah, a bit surprising, but we're going to learn a lot about Mano Furio in that fight because I've been really high on her. I felt the last fight against Maya, there were some mistakes made where maybe I've slowed my expectations on her a little bit. But if she can beat Jessica Andrade, we've got a serious problem at, at 125 because Andrade is really good. Andrade is going to have to get close to her. I think that's going to be the issue because Mano Furio is so good with her range control, her distance control. I, I don't know yeah. if Andrade is going to get there. I kind of understand it from one perspective. They've said that Zhang Veili is next in line for the strawweight title. So maybe she's just kind of mm -hmm. trying to play both sides. Like if she wants to get a title shot at 125 or 115, she's not going to get a 115 title shot anyways next. She might as well just kind of stay busy, beat somebody as good as Fioro, and then see what happens, see how the dominoes fall. If she gets a win against Manon Fioro, I think you could make a case that she could probably go back to strawweight and fight for the title or stay at flyweight and fight for the title because that would be a big win against an up-and-comer. So I, that, from that vantage point, I kind of understand that if she wants to stay busy and keep herself as an established name, I mean, honestly... People will forget about you. If you don't fight for long enough, we've seen this time and time again, they'll just stop talking about you and new challengers will come along. I just think that that's what Andrade does not want to see happen. Unless you're Leon Edwards, he played his cards right. He's got his title shot. But no, I, I know what you're saying. And actually, you bring up a great point that like she is really playing with house money here. Let's say Furio goes and beats her. That would that should not affect her standing at 115, in my opinion. And you're right. If she fought like, let's say, like a Mackenzie Dern or someone else, like a Marina Rodriguez, someone like that. You know, if she loses there, it's kind of it's going to it's going to kill her standing there it was at 125. She has no standing because she lost her last fight against uh, Valentina. So you're right. I, I like the move from that perspective. And I didn't think about it that way. But that that's why that's why I like talking to you, Aaron. You always think outside the box, too. Well, I, I wonder what would have happened if Tatiana Suarez made herself available for that one, because she could have expedited a title shot like basically with a win right there. She could have gone right into title uh, contention. She still hasn't even fought at 125 pounds. But I don't know what her health status is. It always seems like it's up in the air. Um, let's continue and wrap it up by talking about the trifecta this week. Bellator, PFL, and the UFC all have cards. Makes it a long week for us. But outside of the main events, which fights stand out to you on these cards? What are you most looking forward to? So there's a couple fights uh, I wanted to mention. Uh, for PFL, there's there's a couple interesting ones. You've got, um, you know, I'm curious to see this this Chris Wade and Kyle Bochniak fight. I think that's going to be awesome. I love that Chris Wade has really, uh, you know, gone out there and really sort of reinvented his career. He's looked great. So that was one on the PFL card that kind of caught my eye a little bit. Brendan Lockney and Boston Sam is going to be awesome, too. That's got Fight of the Night written all over it. Over to Bellator, I, this Danny Sabatello, uh, this personality, his fight style, like, I'm just curious if he can continue this going with a Leandro Higo. I, I do favor him in that fight. But that's a really interesting fight. Of course, you've got Gegard Mousasi and Johnny Eblen, which to me is so interesting because Eblen trains with Austin Vanderford. He's got the same almost similar amount of experience as Austin Vanderford did. Can Eblen be the guy to just maybe change things up? That's a tall task and taking on Gegard Mousasi. But to me, the fight of the weekend, other than the main event between Armin and uh, Gamrod, is Shavkat Rachmanov and Neil Magny. I am so intrigued by that fight because Neil is a guy that, you know, he's, he's sticking around. He's still getting some good wins here and there. He's still, you know, two fight win streak, I think, coming into this one. Um, 
Um, can he stop this prospect that he essentially, you know, agreed to? Because a lot of people were calling out Shavkat. He put his hand up and said, I want it. He gets the fight. And for Shavkat, can he get a win and get that momentum like a Hamzat Chimaev and, you know, go out there and, and look impressive and get that top five opponent like Chimaev does? We'll see. But that that to me is the number one fight for me is uh, Shavkat and Neil Magny because I think Shavkat will win, but if he doesn't, like, does this is, is maybe we had our expectations too high with them? We're going to learn a lot about both guys in that fight on Saturday. I feel like almost that should have been the main event, honestly. Magny's at least got more, I think, at least household name value than Gamrot and Sarukian, which is a great fight. I mean, I'm just saying maybe make that the co-main and make Magny versus uh, Shavkat the uh, the main event. But maybe they don't want Shavkat to have a five-round fight at this point in his career. He's still very young in his career. And uh, the, I've been billing the fight in Bellator. It's uh, Higo versus Ego. That's what uh, that's how I build that yeah. fight. Oh yeah. But Sabatello is so much fun to watch um, in terms of what he does uh, outside of the cage and then inside of the cage. He's like a wet blanket. I mean, if you can't get out from under him, you're going to lose. And I, I think against a guy like Higo, that game plan could certainly work. He's become the dark horse of the tournament, it seems. So we'll we'll see how that one uh, ends up playing out. Um, I, I think there's a lot of really good things to like across the board. Plus two Canadians on the Bellator card. Mendel Nalo will be uh, against Bryce Logan, I believe is the, the gentleman's name who he's facing. Yep. And we've got Aaron Jeffrey uh, making his Bellator debut uh, on the interview edition. Long this week. Sorry? I was saying long away to debut. I yeah. think he signed with Bellator in March and now wow, he's finally man. making his thing there. I saw, uh, rookie mistake. I just interrupted the host. My well, bad on that. That's one. okay, but... Did, how, lo- how long ago did you know that Mandel Nala was on this card? Because I try to keep up with these things. And then Bellator reached out to me last week and they were like, hey, do you want to interview Aaron Jeffrey and uh, Mandel Nala? And I was like, Mandel's on this card? So it, it blindsided me. How long did you know about this? I didn't uh, until you mentioned it. Here's <laughs> really? one thing. Okay, I'm gonna, so, if anyone from no, I'm, I'm, the, I'm breaking this, the news now. Here's Bellator is watching this. Well, yeah, no, it's, but here's, here's my, I, I love Bellator. They're one of the best promotions to work with from a media standpoint, but why are they so concerned about keeping their fight announcements so tight lipped? Like get the news out there. I, we should, all of us should know, especially Canadians, we should know if Mandel Nalo's fighting. Like I, other than like the press release, that's usually when I find out about fights. Um, but they, they, they need to do a better job of getting those fight announcements out there. And I don't know if it's because they're worried about contracts or something. I'm not sure. But I find in a lot of cases they don't like you find out about fights sometimes the night of the fight or you find it like really late in advance. They got to do a better job of that of getting the fights out there so we can at least know. And like I would have interviewed Mandel, but I'm obviously it's fight week. It's going to be difficult to do that. So, yeah, I think they got to get the, the word out there a little bit more when it comes to their fight announcements. Just a little small thing on, on my end. Aaron Jeffrey trains with Mandel Nalo on occasion, and he didn't even know that Mandel was on the card until like a couple hours before I spoke to him. It's just unbelievable. But um, speaking of interviews, if you want to hear interviews, no shortage of interviews done by James Lynch on a weekly basis. You've got, I saw just who you had on this weekend's UFC card. It's like eight or nine of the fighters on the card. You're just always churning them out. You're such a valuable resource for me when I'm uh, trying to get research done for my interviews. I'm always watching your interviews and anybody else who I can find to get any sort of nuggets I'll always give you, of course, proper attribution, but um, tell everybody where they can find your work. And uh, I highly recommend it, especially if you're looking to see interviews for people on upcoming cards. Well, first and foremost, Aaron, thank you for having me on as the first guest on this new format. Uh, honestly, happy and really excited to see you next week. Uh, at Lynch on Sports, it's the best way to get a, a hold of me. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, I'm on all those platforms, but YouTube as well, youtube.com slash Lynch on Sports. And like you mentioned, got a ton of interviews for this card. I've got the headliner, Armin Saryukin, who's going to be fighting uh, Gamrot in the main event. I've got both co-main event fighters, Neil Magny and Shavkat Rachmanov uh, there as well. So uh, check that out. All my interviews are under a UFC interviews playlist on my channel. They're easy to find. But even for this card, UFC Vegas 57, I've got an entire playlist there. So if you're looking for my stuff, because I do work for a lot of different outlets, you can find it all there. And uh, thanks again for having me on, Aaron. It was, uh, it was awesome to, uh, to catch up with you. All right, now it's time to get to 
the preview. We, we've recapped the card with Jeff Molina. We've talked about the news and the headlines with James Lynch. And now, for the first time, new format for the show. We're going to be talking about the upcoming events. And there's nobody I'd rather do it with than Adam Martin. This guy and I go way back. He was actually uh, an intern under me, what, 12 years ago or something like that at the score. Yeah, Darren, it's crazy, right? It was so long ago, man. We've both been in this industry for, for a long time now, but uh, we still remain good friends, which is awesome. Both still love the sport. And that's why we connected the first time. I remember the first discussion we ever had. It was it was the Demetrius Johnson and uh, Dominic Cruz card, if I'm not mistaken. And we were talking about that Josh Deer, Keith Wisniewski fight, how the guys were doing crazy elbows inside the clinch. And right there and then, Aaron, I knew I wanted to marry you, man. It was, it was, a, it was a match made in heaven. <laughs> I saw, I think it was... Um... Danny Segura made a, a connection with Josh Neer. He said, like, Tim Means is this era's Josh Neer. And I was thinking, they're, they're almost the same age, so they're almost of the same era. But I guess Josh Neer was like a decade kind of before Tim Means, but it's a good comparison. Yeah, no, I actually like that comparison a lot. But it's crazy, right? Like, we still are, you know, so involved in the sport. And, and if anything, I think we're more involved now than we were in the past, you know, Aaron? Like, you're doing big things. Like, I'm doing some some good things as well. So I'm glad to be on the show, man. I know it's on your old podcast. We we interviewed Chad Mendez once together. That was a few years ago, but I'm glad to be on the new show, man, with the new format. I have no recollection of that, but it sounds like something we would have done. Um, <laughs> so now, yeah, I guess that would have been back when I was first launching the TSN MMA show and you filled in one week. Yeah, we came, I came to the studio one time and we got Chad in the phone. I think he was fighting Miles Jury, I want to say. I think that was the fight. Now he's obviously not even fighting in MMA anymore. He's doing bare knuckles. So the world, the world moves very fast, my friend. Yeah, you've got a, a great... Uh memory in terms of recalling all of these things. I wish I had that kind of uh, recall with a lot of these things. You know, James and I, in this past segment, we were talking about how uh, it would be a great matchup if they did Donald Cerrone and Jim Miller. And then we were like, maybe they fought before, but they have like 30 fights. <laughs> and then I went back. Yeah. It's a UFC fight night card. <laughs> yeah, they headlined the UFC fight night card in 2014. So but I see you yeah. have that recall. James and I didn't. We were like, wow, there's like 60 fights between these two guys. I'm sure their paths have crossed at some point. But even, even now, I think a rematch for that fight would make a lot of sense at this juncture. Yeah, that would be a good fight, especially if Jim loses on the weekend. Although I, I heard it was the last fight in his contract. Uh, sorry, next weekend it'd be UFC 276. But I heard that was the last fight in his contract. He's fighting Bobby Green. So that's kind of interesting that they wouldn't uh, – or they haven't resigned him yet because he's coming off two straight wins, right? But uh, I guess we're going to see how that fight goes first. So you're not working for bookies.com. We're going to look ahead at the fight night card. It's Mateusz Gamrot against Armand Sarukian. Sarukian's a big favorite, minus 290. Gamrot plus 215, according to our friends at FanDuel Canada. How are you looking at this fight? Because to me, these odds seem a little bit long, but I do think Tarukian will end up being the winner. Yeah, I remember, Aaron, it opened a lot lower. It opened at like minus 140, right? So that was probably too low. You know, minus 290 is like on the higher side, I would say at this point. Having said that, though, I mean, I'm picking him to win, right? Like, the guy's really good. I do think he's potentially a future champion. It's just that I think Gamrot's good, too, so... It's a it's a it's an interesting fight. I think it's going to be competitive, Aaron. But in the end, I do think Tur- Saryukian wins. But I, I feel like it's going to be one of those fights where um, it's, he's going to have to face some adversity in this fight. I don't think it's going to be like his last fights uh, against uh, Giagos and, and Alvarez, where he just smashed these guys really quickly, just destroyed them. I do think he'll have to work for this win. Gamrot's a guy who's a former champion in KSW at, at 145 and 155. He's been five rounds before. He's got that championship experience. I think he's looked outstanding in the UFC. You know, you know he has the loss to Gurum in his debut, but really that fight could have gone either way. He could be undefeated in the UFC right now. And obviously Armin's only lost to Islam. So you have two of the best guys right now that are kind of on the cusp of that top 10. But in the end, I got to go with Taryukin. He's a, he's a little bit younger. I think he's a little bit more 
uh, dominant with the grappling. I think that's the difference, Aaron. I, I just think he's going to be a little bit better on, on the uh, on the ground if he gets in top position, a little bit more effective with the grappling. It should be an, a really competitive fight, but I'm with you. I think he wins the fight. It's just the question's always like, is there still value now at minus 290? I liked him a lot better at minus 140 where it opened. If you got that line, that was an amazing line. I still think he's a guy you could parlay, though, you know, because I, I do feel pretty strongly he wins this fight, man. Well, I'm, I'm on an island here because... From a matchup standpoint, I think Sarukian wins, but I just don't see any value anywhere, really, because even the inside prop, the ones that are out there right now aren't that high. The decision prop isn't that high. It's a five-round fight, so there's volatility there because we haven't seen Sarukian go five rounds. We've seen Gamrod, of course, and KSW, I believe, go five rounds on a couple of cases. They do five-round championship fights there, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, so he's done five rounds on several occasions, whereas Sarukian hasn't, so... It's one of those situations where we don't really know what we're going to get from him in the later rounds. This is the first real adversity he might face in the UFC. That's why, to me, it's just a total pass. And if I'm if I'm going to make a pick, I think I'm going with Sarukian. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. I mean, I, I think that's fair. Like I said, I wouldn't I wouldn't lay the three to it's almost three to one. I wouldn't lay that straight. You, and like you said, the props are tricky, right? Because honestly, I am leaning towards the decision just because I respect Gamrot's game so much. I think it's going to be competitive, but. With how dominant Sarukian's looked, I mean, would it shock me if he went out there and, like, ground and pounded his way to a win? It, it wouldn't, right? So it's a tricky one from a betting perspective, but I do think the right pick is Sarukian. And, and like I said, I mean, I, I think the way to play it would be maybe a two-team parlay him and one other guy. That would be the way to do it, to cut down the juice. Um, but straight up, I don't think I would lay the 3-1 to one on him. And it's actually Majuri, a colleague of ours from uh, BC, said he didn't thought that this was a very low-name value main event. And maybe you could argue that, but I think that in terms of quality, in terms of talent, these guys are awesome fighters that should be on people's radar, and that's why you put them in the main event. Yeah, I did see that tweet a few weeks ago. I, I, I mean, listen, it's his opinion. I wouldn't have said that personally. I mean, I know it pissed off the, excuse me, upset his uh, manager. Um, sorry, Yuki's manager. He didn't like that comment. Um, it is what it is. I mean, like, like I respect the guy for for giving an honest opinion. Having said that, Aaron, like, I don't necessarily agree. I think that you know these guys are going to become household names, especially Saryukin. Um, I think that this guy, he's only 26 years old, I believe, right? He's super young. Like, yeah, very young. I think he could be a champion one day. I really do. So for me, it's like, yeah, right now, you're right. He doesn't have that that huge name value. And and they actually, uh, my 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 work asked me like, should we do a promo article on this like for the odds. And I'm like, well, you know, I, I don't mind doing it, but you know, will the casual fan read that um, and want to bet on it? I don't know. But I think maybe after this fight, if he goes out there and smashes them, maybe he'll get that more of that, that uh, shine. Um, but for a hardcore fan like us, I mean, we love this fight, right? Like this is, this is what we want. Uh, two of the best up and coming guys at, at 155. I think it's a phenomenal fight personally. So I know what the guy was saying, Jack, I, I understand what his point with the name value, but when we've had main events like Aspen Ladd and Norma Dumont, Aaron, I, I have a hard time complaining about this fight as a main event. Well, I also think you put guys like this in the main event because you want to build their profiles. The UFC seems to have a real baseline audience right now where people are tuning in to see the products rather than the main event names. You know, look at this card from top to bottom. It's not a very pretty card. We've, we've got a lot of people on here that, uh, you know, even for me to recall... There's not a whole lot there for some of them. I mean, well, for most of them I can. But, I mean, like, uh, Nerdan BK, I know that he beat Sean Soriano, but I don't remember even how he performed in that fight. I'm going to have to go back and see. But, you know, it, it's not the, the the sexiest card on paper. But if you were going to make yeah. a different fight on this card, uh, the main event, it would be Shafkat Rachmanov, minus 430 against Neil Magny at plus 300. Uh, again, lines courtesy of FanDuel Canada. 
this is a, a you know extremely long odds, but at the same time, you see what Shavkat Rachmanov has been doing, and he's the rightful favorite. But again, that that number is just, especially in a three round fight against the guys tough as Neil Magny, that's a, a big pill to swallow. It's a big number for sure. And again, he opened a little bit lower at minus two seventy five, so a lot of money's come in on him. And, and I, I was, I'm expecting people to keep parlaying him. I mean, he might get the five to one Aaron. Uh, there's a lot of hype behind the guy right now. He's 15-0. He's finished all of his fights. He's looked incredible at the UFC. Um, another guy that I think a lot of people believe will be uh, a future champion at 170. I'm, I'm not sure if, I, if I'm if i there yet. I need to see more from him. I think he's looked really good in the UFC. But the opposition hasn't been amazing. Like, this is a big step up from Carlton Harris and then Michelle Pizarro and then Alex Oliveira. Those guys are good. Don't get me wrong. But this is a big step up. Neil Magny, Aaron, if you look through his career, he's won a lot of fights as an underdog. Like, I think almost over half of his wins are, are as an underdog. So he's a guy, historically, the the public perception of him is just, it's been wrong, quite frankly. Um, he's a guy that's pulled off many fights as an, in an underdog role. Now, this is obviously a little different. He's, he's a little bit older now, getting a little bit longer in the tooth. And fighting a guy who's dangerous everywhere, a guy who's good in the ground and on the feet. So I, I, I totally understand why, you know, people are, are going in on, on Rachmanov here. And I'm picking Rachmanov, but again... We talk about line value. Is there value at minus 430 on him? I don't think so. I mean, I wouldn't even parlay him personally. I'm going to stay away from this one. But I think if you were, would, would want to play him, based on the fact all of his wins are by um, stoppage, I would look for a prop whenever FanDuel releases that, Aaron, maybe inside the distance because the fact he's never went the distance. And you'd think, like, if it goes the distance, he actually might lose the fight. So I, I would if that's the if that's the side you're on here, go with him inside the distance. I think that would be the better player to cut down the juice. Um, I, I can't get there on Magni, but I do imagine that there will be some sharp betters coming in him later in the week, maybe hammering that line a little bit. Because, again, Aaron, like he's a quality fighter. He's been in the UFC a long time. He's picked up many wins as an underdog. Like I'm looking at his, at his, his historic record right now, and it's, like, it's pretty impressive how many fights he's won uh, where he has a plus number next to his name. Is this one he'll, he'll pull off? I'm not sure. And by the way, I'm looking at the odds right now. I mean, this is the biggest underdog he's been in his whole UFC career. Like, what do you think about that? I mean, he's had like, what, 20, 25 fights in the UFC? He's fought the best of the best. That's a little surprising, right? Well, that's what I was going to say is you look at the the history and this is the biggest underdog he's ever been. And then you also look at Rachmanov's history and he's never been this big of a favorite. And you look at the level of competition he's faced. None of those guys are anywhere near the talent of a Neil Magny. So that's why, like you said, I think the line value is just not there. And even if you're looking at props... I mean, how many times I'm looking at Neil Magny's page right now, he's been finished in his career six, well, six of his eight losses, I guess, are, are him being finished by sub or knockout. So maybe maybe you are onto something there in terms of uh, looking for it from that perspective because you can cut the number down significantly um, once once those odds do come out. Um, Alan Baudot was a minus 120 favorite against Josh Parisian, minus 104. So you've got a card in France, and you've got the French guy and Parisian, and they're fighting I in America. I mean, I, I know, of, of course, Josh Parisian, sense. other than his last name, has nothing to do with Paris France. But, you know, we're still going to put that out there. Uh, I, I don't know. This is, again, a total pass for me. Too much volatility here. Yeah, no, it's for sure. I mean, you've got to pick your spots, right? You can't bet in every fight. Like, there's, Why would you do that? You know, and this is, a, I think, a classic pass. Although I am leaning a little bit towards Badeau. Um, I think Parisian's not, not the great, honestly. I, I, I was hiring him coming into the UFC, Aaron. Um, when he was on like contender series and I was like, okay, this guy's pretty good. Like he probably should be in the UFC. Uh, I believe he knocked out. I want to say it was, wasn't it Greg Rebello, if I'm not mistaken, uh, a couple years ago. Yeah. That was in 2018. Right. But he had to go back on the regional circuit. They made him go back. And I was wondering like, why did they make this guy go back? He gets another win when he comes back. Now he's in the UFC, but really 
you know, one and two. He could be zero and three. I don't even know if he beat Roki Martinez in that one fight. Yeah, so it was a close fight. Yeah, he hasn't really made an impressive Aaron, and you know he's getting up there in age now. Not super old. He's technically he's younger than me. And he's thirty. He's turning thirty-three uh, next week. A um, couple days after the event, you know. But Doe, you know, a little bit younger though. Uh, or sorry, sorry, he's actually one year older. Excuse me, but a little bit fresher, I think, in his career. Like, I, I know he's he's got those knockout losses to Aspinall and Nascimento, but I thought he looked a little more rejuvenated against Parker Porter. That was a pretty competitive fight. I do respect Porter's game, so I think he was a little better in that fight. Uh, obviously trains with with Cyril gone so you're, he's got a good training partner in here uh one one thing i did notice um james lynch a guy you had on your show uh doing the news recap aaron he interviewed josh breeze and I, I listened to that interview and josh recently took a job uh doing like mortgage loans or something full-time job i felt mistaken so that's a concern to me you know i gotta be honest with you because this is the last fight in his contract maybe he's already caught one foot out the door a little bit thinking hey you know what this is if I don't win this fight, it's probably over for me. I mean, he might end up retiring and just sticking to an office job. That that definitely concerns me. Um, again, Badeau has got a lot of knockout power. All of his wins are by stoppage for the most part. And Parisian's been finished. His last fight, he got stopped. So I would I would lean towards Badeau. It's a slight lean. Um, but that would that would be the way I'm, I would go here. And because, again, I, I just have not been impressed with Parisian. And, and the fact he's taking this job outside of MMA now, um, it, it, it's such an important fight in his career. I mean, this is make or break for him. I'm kind of surprised that he would do that but i mean he was talking about how the pressure of winning and losing it got too much for him and now he needs a safety net outside of mma and i understand that but it as a better it concerns me i don't know what your thoughts on that are but something i picked up on i think that's a valuable insight and i think you're onto something there when you say it's do or die for both these guys i mean the ufc likes having warm bodies at heavyweight but i think this is kind of a loser leaves town match if you look at the history of these two guys i'm uh, moving on you got Thiago moises minus 260 the comeback on christos giagos Plus 196. They've never done this guy any favors in terms of his matchups, but uh, tough one here. Although I think that there is some dog value on Giagos. Kind of a pass for me because I think Thiago Moises, if he shows up the way that we've seen him show up, and he's also been getting some tough matches uh, as of late, I think he probably ends up winning this one. Yeah, both guys kind of inconsistent, Aaron. You know, you look at their records. Moises 4-4 four and four in the UFC. Giagos 5-5 five and five through two stints. So neither guy's really been able to string together a lot of consistency. But for me, you know, Moises is five years younger. He's, I think, more well-rounded, in my opinion. I, I think he's a little bit more dangerous on the ground. I know Giago has some missions as well. Um, and I think his stand-up's coming along. But again, he's coming off two straight stoppage losses now to two pretty good fighters in Makachev and, and Alvarez. I, that's the thing, though, Aaron. You know, if you look at his losses, the UFC has not done him favors either. Like, he's a young guy, and he's fought Alvarez, Makachev in his losses. Is Magulov in another loss, and Daniel Darius in another loss. Those are not bad losses. And he has a win over Bobby Green, which is a really nice win. I know it was a close fight, but on, on, in hindsight, it looks really nice. Galgo's on the other hand, if you look at his record, Aaron, I mean, what's what's his best win? It, I guess it's Demir Hadzovic. I mean, that's a, that's a guy that's not even close to being ranked. Um, a guy that is a decent fighter, but I mean, I don't know. And then, But the thing is, his losses are to really good fighters too. So you got a guy, you have two guys here that are really only losing to, for the most part, elite competition. In Galgos' position, lost to Gilbert Burns, lost to DuBronx, lost to uh, Armand. I mean, these are not bad guys to lose to, but he doesn't have quality wins, I don't think. So, I don't know. I mean, the way he's won his fights is by grappling. I just fail to see how he outgrapples Moises in this fight. So, I would lean towards Moises, but you're right. I mean, again, the line is long here, and we're looking for betting value. It's, you know, you have to to think about it. Do you want to lay it straight at minus 250? I'm not sure, but I think he's... 
I, I think I'm a little higher on him than you are in the spot, although it's more of a fade of Giagos for me because I just haven't been super impressed with him. So I, I would lean towards Moises here, um, but it's definitely an interesting fight as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I would lean towards Moises as well, but the, I just think it's a dogger pass. I think the value's on Giagos, and I'm going to be passing on this one personally. Uh, Umar Nurmagomedov, yeah. minus 900 against Nate Manus, plus 520. Long, long odds here. And I think they're kind of justified. I mean, Nate Maness has had some great wins in the UFC. He's looked really good since coming to the promotion. But you look at his loss to uh, Taylor Lapalus in, uh, in TKO. That was a finish. Taylor Lapalus is a solid fighter. But, I mean, when we're looking at Umar Nurmagomedov, we're looking at a guy who could potentially be champion one day. I, I don't think that that's a stretch to say based on the way that he's performed so far. So I think this is probably pick your spots in terms of props. But, you know, I think Umar is going to win this fight. And I think he cruises. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And... Here's the thing, like, at first glance, I'm, like, looking at the line, I'm like, man, this is pretty hard, because I think Nate Manus is actually a pretty good fighter. You know, I think he beats a lot of guys in this division, but does he beat Umar Nurmagomedov? I, I'm not seeing it, man. I'm like you right now. So, again, while the odds seem long, I, I get it. I get why people are, are so high in him. I mean, the, he's just outstanding grappler, obviously. He's, he's looked great in the UFC. Um, here's the thing with Nate Manus, like, the last fight with, with Gravely was or Gravely was really impressive, right, getting the knockout, but he also got dropped in that fight. I look, I look back at the fight with uh, Johnny Munoz, a guy who th- I think is a pretty decent prospect, but still, like he, he's a guy coming off a loss himself. He was taken down in that fight, Aaron. He was he got mounted. He had his back taken. If this happens against Dermot Minov, I don't think it, it goes that long, right? So maybe Maine is, is able to make those improvements in his defensive grappling to to get the, to the distance here, but I think there's a good chance he gets subbed out too. So you're right. I mean, this is, you know... There's a lot of times now, Aaron, where the lines are getting long in MMA. And I talked to you, but you told me this a long time ago, actually. One of the first ch- chats we ever talked about, you said, for these big favorites, I go for the inside the distance props. You told me this a long time ago. Maybe that's the way to go for this one. Maybe you look for inside the distance here. Or if you think that Manus is, again, decent enough where he can survive the grappling for three rounds, I'm not sure, maybe, that you look for the decision prop. But you can still find value on these big favorites in MMA if you look at the props. And I, I, it's something that I've been picking up on lately. You're seeing massive favorites, guys like Alexander Romanov a few weeks ago, minus 2,500. But if you looked at his prop like in, in the first round or whatever, I think it was a lot less. It was like minus 200, right? So you can still find value on these big favorites. So take a look at the props at this fight because that's the way to go. I think you save your money on name is I don't see him winning the fight. Yeah, and one thing I might also be doing is looking at guys like Shavkat winning in round three. It's like probably going to be in the nine to one range, right? Like those kind of props are another good place to pick your spots because we know how tough Neil Magny is. Maybe he survives two rounds and Shavkat ends up getting him out of there. Um, another one where I might do that is Chris Curtis against uh, Rodolfo Vieira is looking for round props because I think that Curtis is going to mind his P's and Q's in the first um, against Vieira. And as the fight goes on, we've seen what happens with Vieira when the pressure gets put on him. I think that's why the line is what it is. Chris Curtis is notoriously difficult to stop. While Vieira is a world-class uh, jiu-jitsu practitioner, I don't know how easy it's going to be for him to get Chris Curtis to the ground or to get him to play on the ground with him. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I think the line is probably where about where it should be. And I might be looking at a Chris Curtis round two, round three props as, as those start to come out from FanDuel. But uh, right now, you know, at first I was thinking this is dogger pass, but it might end up being favorite or pass just because Chris Curtis, we've seen how tough this guy is. The thing with Vieira is you could also get the sub prop for him probably in the 2-1 to one range, right? And that's, I think, the only way that he's going to win this fight. His hands have looked pretty good, actually, in the UFC, and his power's been good. I just don't expect him to be able to put a guy as good as Chris Curtis out. Uh, I'd love to hear your take on this one because it's a very intriguing line for me. I think it's one of the best fights in the card, personally. I mean, this is a fantastic fight. I think both guys are really good. I'm, I'm impressed by both guys. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. I always look at this, too, the historic lines, right? 
Chris Curtis was a massive underdog against Brandon Allen and Phil Haas. Now he's a favorite. I feel like this is a bit of an overreaction to Vieira that lost to Hernandez, where he was a huge favorite and lost. He looked pretty good in his last fight against Dustin Stoltzfus, man. His his striking looked a lot better, and he got the finish. I just remember after that fight, Dustin Stoltzfus was, like, hugging him and saying, like, man, your striking got so good. Like, it got really good. Like, this is not a guy who's been in MMA that long. I think he's improving rapidly. I'm actually going to go with the dog in this one, Aaron. Here's a dog I actually think has some uh, some value here, potentially, uh, in Rodolfo, Rodolfo Vieira, because... I do think the grappling is really strong. And again, it is back in the apex, right? Back in that smaller cage where he doesn't have, a, have to close as much distance. Um, there's no doubt that Curtis has a lot of power. He's a great striker. This is the guy that should have been in the UFC a long time ago. I'm glad he's here now. But I just, I always get a little bit worried when a fighter is such a big favorite or such a big underdog, and then they turn into the favorite. We saw that last week, actually, with the Canadian Jasmine Jasdavicius. I know you're you're pretty close with her. Un- big underdog in her debut against Kay Hansen, all of a sudden is a big favorite in her second fight and loses. It's a bit of an overcorrection sometimes, I think. I think that could be a play here too. Like you see in, in one ha- on one hand, you have Vieira who had that bad loss and a lot of people were kind of off of him to Hernandez. And then with Curtis, he had the two straight upset wins and now people are like oh, high on him again, right? So to me, it, I think it's kind of a pick and fight. I really do. It's either Curtis wins by knockout or Vieira wins by, by stopping or submission. I'm leaning towards Vera. I think you can get him down and, and tap him out. And again, I do favor the grapplers in the uh, smaller apex cage. So that's my thoughts on that. I know most people are in Curtis. I get it. The guys look fantastic. But, you know, he remember, he's a guy that's not really necessarily a natural middleweight. He's more of a, a guy who a lot of fights at welterweight. Um, I think Vera, you know, could be a little bit stronger here, get him down to the ground and, and, and find that tap out. I know the guy's only been submitted one time in his career, Chris Curtis, led a lot of fights, but... If anyone's going to top him up for the second time, it's going to be Adolfo Vieira, in my opinion. And the thing is, you look at historical figures, and people will do this all the time, or historical stats, rather. People will say, well, Chris Curtis has never been submitted. And then you always see people like, oh, this guy's never given up a takedown. It's like, well, who's he faced, right? Like, yep. who has Chris Curtis faced that's going to offer the same kind of submission threat that a guy who's a world-class Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioner like Vieira will offer? You, you just... There's nobody there. I mean, there's there's so few of them in MMA as a whole, especially in this division, right? Like, maybe if he had fought, like, Carlos Jr. at 185 pounds in the UFC, which, of course, they, they never overlap. But you know what I'm saying? Like, he hasn't fought anybody of that credential. So that's where yeah. uh, you look at a guy like Rodolfo Vieira, and you kind of throw that kind of stat out the window. And you might actually be able to get good value on Vieira by sub for that reason. But let's move on to the next yeah. one. Carlos Alberg, minus 125. Tafan Nchukwi, minus 102. Uh, obviously, the entire... Crew from City Kickboxing are in Las Vegas for uh, Israel's fight. And uh, Volkanovski, while he trains mostly in Australia, they're there for his fight as well. Albrook fighting a week earlier against Stefan and Chukwi. Interesting fight. The the thing that worries me about taking Albrook as the favorite is the grappling of Nchukwi. If if he starts looking at the grappling, we haven't really seen that tested on Albrook. They've been putting him up against these stand-up fighters. In this situation, that's what worries me about taking a guy like Albrook here. Yeah, I, th- I think the line's accurate here, Aaron. I think I think it is a pick and fight. So I, I definitely agree with the line here. People are kind of having a hard time picking this one. I'm leaning a little bit towards Alberg, uh, just because I, I do think his technical striking is slightly better. But you're right. I mean, Chukwi does got that, that grappling edge probably in this fight. So wouldn't be surprising to me either way. Now, I don't, I'm not sure what you're thinking here, but the, the fight going uh, the distance or even over two and a half is at plus money. I'm favoring the fight going three rounds. I have no idea what you're thinking, but just based on how Albert fought in his last fight and how Chukwi has kind of fought, he needs to get it back on the win streak, so I think he'll play a little save after last fight where he's cruising and gets destroyed in the third round. 
I kind of feel like this fight plays out on, at a points battle on the feet. Maybe some grappling mixed in, but I think it can go the distance. Like, instead of taking a side, I'm, I'm looking at the plus money prop on the fight going over two and a half or to the distance. Any thoughts on that? You know, I don't really have a strong thought. My immediate thought was that we're going to see like a second or third round finish. But that's, again, just like, how do you think this fight's going to end? That's probably what I would guess. But I, I see what Fair you're enough. saying. And uh, you always got to look for that value, especially when it comes to overs. Um, if you can get a juiced over, or sorry, a, a good value on an overplay, a lot of the time that, that'll hit. Especially after last week's card, you saw these finishes. Who knows how it plays out this week um, at right. the Apex when there's no not a loud crowd and maybe they're overcorrecting the steering wheel on uh, on some of these unders. So uh, we'll yeah. see how that goes. TJ Brown, minus 225. Shailen BK plus 172. And one interesting thing here about Shailen is... They went and did some research on his record, you know, similar to what we saw happen with Askar Masharov a couple of weeks ago. But it actually is the opposite. It looks like this guy has a lot more experience and a lot more wins than originally thought and a better record than originally thought. So that's the kind of thing you have to take into consideration with these kind of fights. It's like a lot of these fighters from the Asian regions have proven that they can hang in the UFC and they're getting a lot of upsets lately. And I'm starting to see yes. that. I think this is a dogger pass, personally. I haven't been super impressed with TJ Brown in the UFC thus far. He seems very hit or miss. Sometimes he's great. Sometimes he's not. Um, we'll see how he shows up this week. But uh, And he's got good training with James Krause. But I, I don't know. Nurden BK, to beat a guy like Sean Soriano, who has not looked good in the UFC, but we know he's a really good fighter. And he's one of the coaches um, at, I believe, Sanford MMA. Like, one of the top guys there in terms of uh, the, yeah. the instructors, right? So... I don't know how this one's going to go, but I think that uh, it's a dog or pass. I just wonder, like, how people would have thought about those two first fights in the UFC if they'd known he had 20 extra fights on his record, because I find it very interesting that he did add all those fights. Now, look at the guy. He's got a lot of experience all of a sudden, right? Like, wow, what did we miss on this guy? Um, I'm with you. I think betting-wise, it's dog or pass. Like, I just don't see TJ Brown being a, a minus 225 favorite against really not many guys in this division. I know he's a pretty good grappler, but he also makes a lot of mistakes in his fights. And Shaylin did look pretty good against Sorian, like you mentioned. And really, Aaron, I mean, Josh Kulibau is a guy who's, I think, really under the radar in that's this division. And he had a pretty competitive fight with him, too. So this guy's a little bit underrated. And again, like you said, all those extra fights now, he's got more experience now that, now that we look at it. So I, I don't know. I, I think you're right. I think you might be on something dog or pass. I don't, I don't blame him for taking a shot on the dog. I would, I would personally just stay away from this one. But based on the odds, I think it's dog or pass. And I mean, the guy's... TJ Brown's pretty tough, so I would lean towards this guy winning by decision. Um, whenever that prop drops a fan duel, maybe take a look at that one. Um, because I think it'll be a grinding type of fight. I think you'll see a lot of grappling in this fight, and I think it probably goes a distance. So probably dogger pass, though, based on the line. This next one, I think, is one of the hardest fights to call on this card. Sergey Morozov, minus 146. Howley and Paiva, plus 114. Morozov looked amazing in his last fight until he didn't. He looked great against uh, Douglas De Silva de Andrade, almost got a finish, and then ended up getting finished himself in the second round. Ran, you know, tried, to, tried really hard for that first round finish, ran out of gas. He, I think that he's somebody who has a really bright future in this division, but I also think Howlian Pipe is a really solid fighter. To get dog money on him against Morozov might end up being good, but it's one of those situations where if you take Paiva, you could look really bad at the end of the night. Like, Morozov could completely steamroll this guy. But at the same time... You know, how much faith do you want to put in Morozov against the guy who might even be a better opponent than Douglas De Silva Dandraj in Paiva? I think Paiva's a really talented fighter, so this is a pass for me, but I just can't wait to see this fight. I think it's going to be one of the... Uh, this, to me, is the sleeper fight of the night. Yeah, this is a good fight. I mean, I think it could be on the main card. I think it should be on the main card. 
Aaron, I like the dog in this one, man. I'm, I'm going with Pivot. I know you've been high on him. I think I want to say you picked him against Kyler Phillips or you had a bet on him in that fight where he's a big underdog. No, I think, I think I had Phillips in that fight, actually, if I recall. Oh, but, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> fair I think enough. I had Phillips I mean, by I, sub. I didn't pick him. Yeah, I didn't pick him there either. Um, but, I mean, that's a good win. That's a great win, right? I know it was a close fight. A lot of people thought controversial decision, but still a great win. And I think, you know, there's a lot there's a lot to like about this guy. You know, he's only 26 years old. He's super young. He has, for a guy who's only 26, Aaron, he's already got seven fights in the UFC. Or six fights. He had the contender series as well. But he's fought some good opposition. And look at the losses. Sean O'Malley. High curve France split decision, which is looks really good right now. And then Rogerio Bontarine, which was a doctor stoppage. And then the wins, Kyler Phillips, that's a great win. Zagas Jumagulov, pretty good win. Mark De La Rosa, I mean, that's not the, uh, the, the good of a win, obviously. But still, I think he's looked good. I think he's young. I think he's improving. He's moved up to 135 now. He's won and won the weight class. But again, lost to Sean O'Malley. There's no shame in no, that. Win over Kyler, Kyler Phillips, Phillips also, who's expected to get steamed that in that win, fight. That's an awesome win. I'm really high on Kyler Phillips. I think he's one of the better guys in that bottom half of the top 15. Like he's he's four and one in the UFC. He could be five and uh, five and zero oh if he won that decision. So he's very good. Um, I, I just I'm a little surprised by this line. I got to be honest with you. I I'm I'm just wondering what am I missing because Morozov is decent, but you know he's a little bit older. He's 33, 32 years old now. He's six years older. I mean that's significant. Um, and like you said in the last fight, he, he looked great in that first round. I'm like wow, what a performance! And then all of a sudden. Aaron, you got knocked down three times in the second round. They got choked out. Both his losses in the UFC by, by stoppage. He's been actually, you know what's crazy about his record? He's been submitted three times by rear naked choke, and all three times he didn't tap out. They were all technical submissions. You'd rather go to sleep, which I respect, but I also think it's kind of dumb, too. I think you should tap when you're that close to blacking out. Um, he's also been finished before by, by punches, I believe, in M1 as well. Um, I, I think that Paiva is going to have an advantage with the speed, with the striking power. Um, I think the grappling will, will be matched here. I like Piva here, man. I, I would even take a shot at him maybe by a knockout. Because, again, the guy got dropped three times in the last fight. And I always look at that in the next fight and wonder, like, hey, maybe this is a spot to fade him. And when Aaron, like, I mean, th- we don't have odds yet for that, the, the knockout prop. But I'd imagine it would be like four or five to one when it comes out. I would potentially take a look at that. But I like Piva here. I think he's a dog that absolutely I, – I think he should be favored to win this fight. So if if he's a guy I think should win the fight and he's dog, it's a must bet. So that's the way I look at this one. I'm, I'm taking Piva. Interesting angle on that one. Um, and I, I think I didn't realize Piva was that young, 26. Wow. So maybe maybe that is a good angle because we know that this guy's got power. We know that he's got speed, good precision. It might be one of the things that foils Morozov. You might want to look at a Piva two, round two or round three prop as well because I think the Morozov in the first round is probably when he's at his most dangerous as we saw in his last fight. And he's actually fighting sooner than Douglas uh, Silva D'Andrade is, right? So n- not that long of a layoff after uh, getting knocked down three times, like you mentioned. Uh, JP Bays, minus 122. Cody Durden, minus 104. I'm surprised Bays is the favorite here. I, you know, I was really high on Bays coming off the Contender Series, but I just haven't seen that much from him yet in the UFC that would lead me to believe that that was, uh, you know, that I had a good eye on that one. Uh, he looked so dominant then, but he was under Coach Safe Sayud then, and now he's moved over to... I believe it's Extreme Couture. It hasn't looked quite as good, but he also fought up a weight class against a really tough opponent uh, last time around. Moving back down to flyweight now, Durden got smoked by Mokayev, but I think a lot of the guys in the flyweight division would, so kudos to him for stepping up for that one. Um, also had a controversial decision um, win, I believe, prior to that. I think it was against Ayuri Killing, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so I think that uh, 
this is a really tough one to call. I'm going to stay away and just watch this one play out. I think J.P. Mays wins the fight, but I, I'm not comfortable laying money on him as a favorite. Yeah, that's fair. I, I, again, I think the line's accurate. This is a pickup fight, in my opinion. So you're basically getting... Well, I guess Bays is a slight favorite now, but still, like it's basically a pick Aaron. It's a, it's a hard fight to call, right? I mean, they're both kind of well, like, well-matched against each other. They're both guys that will probably push to, to grapple a little bit here. I think you'll see some takedowns, you know, but if it stays in the feet, I would give Durden the edge, right? I, I don't really see Bays as like a good striker at all, to be honest with you. Um, Aaron, we talk about knockdowns. I know you like stats too, Aaron. He's been knocked down seven times in the last two fights. Seven times. That's really concerning in my opinion. Again, he did fight up a weight class against Montel Jackson, but took so much damage in that fight. And even against Bruno Silva, a guy who's got some power, but still three knockdowns. Like It just concerns me how much damage this guy's taken. We know he's had some issues in his personal life the last couple of years, which doesn't help, I don't think, at all. Um, it, you know, it would be a feel-good story, though. I think he's a decent guy from what I've, from what I've seen. It'd be nice to see him bounce back, but I just don't know. I'm just not sure. Durden, again, you know, he's a guy that's, I think he's been matched up really hard, Aaron, in the UFC. Like, Makayev is a guy that no one wants to fight. Jimmy Flick, I know he retired, Aaron, but I was pretty high on Jimmy Flick. Mm-hmm. Like, his ground game was phenomenal. And Chris Gutierrez, I mean, he actually pushed Chris to the limit in that fight and went to a draw. And like you said, Richie Lang, he beat him, and that guy's not bad at all. He's actually a decent prospect. I think he's really good. Another guy. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He beat him, right? And he used his grappling to win the fight. So it's interesting. Um, you know, Bays did have that full mount against Montel Jackson's last fight, which I was like, wow. And he was a big underdog, right? And you're like, wow, maybe there's something here. But, you know, after that, Aaron just kind of folded a little bit. And one thing I noticed in his career, if things don't go his way, Aaron, he tends to fold up shop. That's a little concerning to me. He can win this fight. If that's why it's a pick and fight, he's definitely going to be, a, I think, more effective at flyweight. But I can't pick this guy after the last two fights where he just took so much damage. And now he's taking on a guy that has a little bit of power and, the guy's pretty well-rounded, Cody Durden. So my, my lean Durden, uh, probably a decision, but, I mean, Bay's getting dropped that much definitely concerns me. I guess the knockout wouldn't shock me either. Mario Bautista, minus 172. Brian Kelleher, plus 134. I like Kelleher here. I think this is this is some real dog value. Kelleher's been matched up against really, really tough opposition. And I think that's why he hasn't looked good. And then you saw Bautista in his last fight matched up against the guy on very short notice who didn't belong in there with him, and he, he had a lot of trouble getting him out of there. So I, I think that uh, Kelleher... This should be a lot tighter of a line, in my opinion. I'm going to take the dog on this one. It's funny. You mentioned Jay Perrin. He's fighting uh, the guy you just fought. He's fighting Arichi Lang in his next fight. I think we'll be, both be on Arichi Lang in that I'll fight. I'll be on the here. KO probably. <laughs> pretty there. Sure. Yep, I can tell you now. Yeah. Yep. So I think Batista's look pretty good in the UFC overall. I mean, again, I think he's been matched up decently tough, too. I mean, the the the, uh, the losses are to Corey Sahagan, no shame in that. And then Trevor Jones, who I think is a decent fighter. I know he hasn't fought much lately, but he's decent. Um, he has that win over Miles Johns. He's got some power, good striking. But you're right. I mean, like, there's a big gap in experience here, right? Like, 37 fights compared to 11. That's a big gap. So I think the line should be a little bit tighter. Um, having said that, you know, I still like Batista's game. I think his striking is really good. He has some advantages here, Aaron. He's seven years younger. He's got three inches of height and reach. That's why I'm leaning towards his way. That's why I think the line is where it is. But, I mean, honestly, like, the experience gap is huge. So. It could be dog or pass. It's one I'm probably just going to pass on completely. I'm leaning Batista to win a decision here, but I can't blame you for taking Sean Kelleher. Again, you know, 37 fights compared to 11. That's a big experience gap, and you could see it coming to play here. But I do like Batista. He trains with a good camp. He trains with Kyler Phillips. Guy you mentioned trains with Sean O'Malley, another guy we mentioned. So I like his game, but uh, yeah, it should be interesting. Jin Frey minus 310. Vanessa Demopoulos plus 230. I've learned my lesson. Low level 
women's MMA, if you can get, uh, and I'm, I don't mean to call them low level, but uh, they're on, lower on the totem pole in the division. If you can get a plus 230, I took Maria Oliveira last week. That ended up being smart. I, I you know, we saw what happened to Jasmine Jazdavicious. Again, yep. when you get these kind of lines, you take the underdog almost automatically. Jinyu Fraze is getting uh, older. I, I think she's in her late 30s. Demopoulos looked really good in her last fight. She got dropped by, uh, what's her name, uh, from Argentina. Silvana Gomez-Juarez. Yeah, Silvana yeah, yeah. Gomez-Juarez. See, this is why I have you on. You have your recall. And Gomez-Juarez <laughs> looked really good. But she's got good power, got knocked down, but then was able to, to stick with it and find the sub. Uh, I think Demopoulos here at plus 230. Just on principle, I have to take it. I, you know, I think that she probably loses the fight, but we're seeing this trend now where women that are being overvalued that, that haven't had big wins in the UFC, you, you kind of have to fade them at this point just for the value. And I, that's, the, that's really the only reason I'm looking at it. I think you fit the nail on the head here, my friend. I really do, because one trend I've noticed, I, I like obviously keep track of the trends. The women's fights are being mispriced. Mis, mis, uh, um, and I don't know if it's actually the odds makers that are doing it. I think it's the betting public. They're not giving uh, the underdogs enough credit. Um, we've seen a lot of upsets lately in the women's divisions, Aaron. Like you said, last week, two upsets. Um, I want to say, Macy Chase on a few weeks ago. She was a huge underdog. And look at the Shevchenko fight. I mean, even that fight. Talisanto, I thought I thought Santos could have won the fight, right? Like, she was plus, I want to say plus 500, Aaron. So you're seeing a mispricing in these women's fights. Um, even, I mean, I know it was kind of, it seems kind of fluky, but still, Julian Pena. She was, what, plus 1,000, I want to say, when she fought Amanda? You're seeing a lot of upsets in the women's weight classes. So I think you're on to something here. Um, you know, I get why Fry is favored. I think she should be slightly favored because I think she's more well-rounded. But these, this line is crazy. And I, I, it actually reminds me exactly of the Glory DePaula fight last week where she was the same price, I think, minus 310, just like Frey is here in, in a close fight and ended up losing. I took, um, I took Maria Oliveira. In that fight, just for that reason, I just said like it's basically yeah. a fade. It's a fade on on a big price on somebody. And Gloria DePaula is somebody who just has not really impressed me. I thought her win over Belbizo yeah. was the best she's looked. And but before that, like if you watch her contender series and you look back at her record, she beat somebody who was four and zero. But the but the fighter that she beat had no hadn't beat anybody with a single win on her record. Looked completely outmatched the contender series, and she couldn't even get a finish against somebody who was having trouble defending themselves. Right? Like you have to look. You can't just look at the record and and who and. You know, that they beat, oh, someone who's undefeated. But who's the undefeated person fought, right? You have to keep looking deeper and deeper. And then you can find these little things that pick holes in people's arguments where they're like, oh, like somebody responded to me when I took Oliveira. They're like, no, I don't, I think that's a bad pick. Well, it's like, well, listen, you got a, you got a plus 210 underdog in, a, in what I think is a closer fight than advertised. Somebody who we haven't seen the best from yet because she was, I think, got a short notice fight in her first UFC fight. Listen, that's the reason I'm taking this at plus 230 for Demopolis. It's not a confident play, but it's just we're seeing this trend right now that, like you said, it seems like these lines are way too long. They are. And one thing to keep in mind here is uh, Demopolis is obviously very good with their armbar. We saw that in the last fight. The, the, the one stoppage loss Frey had to Kay Hansen, which honestly looks really bad in hindsight, doesn't it, Aaron? It doesn't look like a very good loss at all to have. She got tapped out with an armbar. I do think the UFC matchmakers are looking at that as well. There's also a fight next week. I, I've been looking ahead here, and Julia Stoliarenko against uh, Jessica Rose Clark. Uh, Rose Clark coming off an armbar loss, and then Stoliarenko has like 10 armbar wins on her record. So you're seeing that lately. Also last week, we had, or two weeks ago, we, Silvana Gomez-Juarez, she fought Na Liang. Liang has like 10 armbar wins. Suarez coming off of two armbar finishes. So I think the matchmakers are looking at that as well, seeing like someone's weakness, trying to match with someone that has a, a strength there. 
And also in this fight, I mean, let's be honest, like Frey is the better striker. So I think Noth is going to be tested there in striking. And one thing concerning Darren is her reach is very short, 59 inches. Like it's one of the shorter reaches. But again, if the fight's in the ground, it doesn't really come into the play as much. So it's based on the fact that line's so long, it's longer pass. It has to be, right? Like when I, when, I, when I saw this line, when I was looking at the fights and when I was capping myself, I'm like, all right, I think Frey will be like minus 150. Minus 310. That just doesn't really add up to me. I, again, I'm leaning towards her to probably win the fight by decision, but we're looking at line value, Aaron. It's dogger pass. It has to be, right? Well, before I let you go, Adam, last thing. There are no lines right now on FanDuel for the PFL, so let's skip over that. Bellator, do you see anything that you like on the Bellator slate? I do. I do. I want to get your thoughts on this one. So, uh, taking off my biased Canadian hat, but still, I do like this guy. I think he should be in the UFC right now. Aaron Jeffrey, Aaron. Right now, FanDuel, he's minus 160 against Fabio Aguiar. He's making his Bellator debut here. I like Aaron Jeffrey in this fight, man. I really like this guy. He's a great prospect. Um, he had two really hard fights to contender. He fought Kyle Barallo, who's really good, and Brendan Allen, who's really good. He has a win over Andre Prochowski, who's really good. I, I I think at minus 160, like I think there's value here. I, I'm surprised because you look at the Bellator odds, like Aaron, there's a lot of big favorites in this card again, like most Bellator cards. He's a guy that's like a moderate favor here. Like really not that much. He's not even two to one. He's a guy I really like. And again, I know he's had some struggles when he stepped up in competition, but I, I look at Aguilar as a guy who's just decent, nothing special. I think Aaron Jeffrey beats him. So I have no idea what you're thinking about it, but I like Aaron in this fight. I'm waiting on a decision prop for that one. I, I want to see what the Jeffrey by decision prop is before I jump into that one. The one that I'm looking at is Pam Sorensen at plus 210. Um, we haven't seen Kat Zingano fight much. Sorensen's been yeah. pretty active. She hasn't had the best wins, you know, she doesn't have the best win-loss record, but to get her this big of a dog, again, we were just talking about women's MMA lines and, and how long they can be sometimes. I think this line is too long based on what we've seen from Kat Zingano as of late, which isn't much. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think Kat Zingano, honestly, like, I, I know she's had some personal struggles, obviously, with her, with her, uh, with her, uh, her husband a few years ago. Obviously, that was very tragic circumstances there, but just hasn't fought much. You know what I mean? you got to look at it from the fighter's perspective. And, and she hasn't been that impressive in, the, in that Bellator, to be honest with you. I mean, that win over uh, the win over Amanda Nunez and T- Misha Tate was almost 10 years ago now. Right? I mean, it's been a long time, right? So I just feel like she's kind of at the end of her career, and I, I, I can pick her. And I'm just quickly looking. Um, Musasi is a big favorite. He's minus 310. But you know what? If, if you can get him inside the distance uh, against Johnny Eblen, who I think is a good fighter, but never been tested against someone like this, I would look at Musasi inside the distance if that's like plus money. If they ever come, if they does come out of FanDuel, I think you guys have props for that, or they, they'll have props for that eventually. Yeah, they, they will have the props for that at some point. Yeah, I like. I don't know what you think about that. I think Eblin's a good fighter, but I just think this is such a big step up. And honestly, I mean, I think Musasi could beat anyone in the world, including Adesanya potentially. I think he's that good of a fighter. Um, so I, I really like Musasi in this fight. He's looked dominant in his last two fights, just destroying his opponents. I, I think he could do that here too. I think he can finish this guy with strikes. Is Sabatello versus Higo five rounds? Are these tournament fights yes. five rounds? Okay. Because yeah. I was going to look and at so this is... Sabatello by decision prop, but I think over the course of five rounds, he he'll probably, he might be able to get a finish on Higo if he just is able to exhaust him the way he's able to do his other opponents. I, I'm i really high on this guy, Aaron. I, I think he's phenomenal, man. I, and not only is he a good fighter, but he's got a good uh, mouth too. Like he can really talk. The UFC had him on the Contender yep. Series a few years ago. And, and he had <laughs> sure a, did. He, he had a really boring fight let's be honest it was he dominant. Had like 13 minutes yeah it was dominant he had like 13 minutes of control he, i think it was 30 25 scorecards but just never went for the finish um and i think that maybe he's gone back to the drawing board and been like all right that that ship has sailed the ufc but now i'm in bellator now i can win a million dollars i think his focus is 100 percent shifted now 
I think he's a dark horse of the tournament, man, because I think his grappling is that dominant, like you mentioned, that he can beat a lot of these guys. Even good fighters like Rafael Stott, who is good, well-rounded everywhere. I think he could beat him just because the grappling is so strong. I obviously like him here. He's a huge favorite, but honestly, Aaron, I'm leaning towards a late stoppage in this fight, man. I, I think he can stop him late in the fight. He was a good fighter, but five rounds, Aaron, to be in a cage with this guy, getting on top of you, exhausting you, smashing your face with elbows and punches. Aaron, I think we're onto something, man. Sabatello with a late stoppage here. You know, it's funny. You look at this uh, tournament and everybody's talking about how great this Grand Prix is, the Bantamweight Grand Prix, and it is great. Don't get me wrong, but I'm going somewhere with this. If you look at the people on this list, Juan Archuleta was on the Ultimate Fighter, I believe, it was in, to get into the house, lost. Rafion Stotts was on Dana White looking for a fight, so he fell through the cracks. Higo was in the UFC, I believe, for a time. Um, Sabatello was on Contender Series, like we just discussed. Kyoji uh, Horiguchi, one of the weirdest free agents to leave the UFC. Like I, I thought they should, definitely should have kept him. He was like 23 or something when he left. Um, Josh Hill was on, on uh, The Ultimate Fighter at one point in time. Barzola was in the UFC like a year ago. All these guys sniffed the UFC at some point and they just let him fall through the cracks. Like They have to be looking. Yep. And plus, Sergio Pettis, the champion, was also a, yep. in the UFC. Right? So all these high-level bantamweights, and you look at the UFC's bantamweight division now and how, how crazy it is there. I mean, we just saw... Yanez get into the rankings, the top 15, like, that's just a shark tank of shark tanks. Think of, if, if they would have had all these guys, like, that would have been the most stacked division ever. No, you're 100% right. I'm looking at it right now, like you said, Horikuji was in the UFC, Barzola was in the UFC, Stotts was on uh, Dana White looking for a fight. He got knocked off by Murad, I remember. who's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's not a bad loss. No, not a bad loss at all. <laughs> I think, like you, uh, you said, um, uh, Higo, he was on the Ultimate Fighter. Uh, you mentioned Archuleta. I don't know if he was on... Uh, ultimate fighter but he might have been i think it was to get um, into the house he was on tough right? but he lost his like, yeah that fight great fighter right but still an awesome fighter i know you got knocked out but still and then you have like you said sabatello contender guy um apache mix is another guy who was kind of flying under the radar he was a king of the cage guy seemed like no one was interested in him bellator signed him he's looked phenomenal with the grappling and beat horiguchi it's a good tournament it's just funny though right because you know it's kind of like the light heavyweight tournament, Aaron. Honestly, it's just, were the, yeah, and the heavyweight tournament again. You had a lot of guys that were in the UFC, and Belter was like, "This is the best light heavyweight in the world." It's like, well, the UFC had these guys and didn't want them anymore, so doesn't mean they're not bad fighters. And I think a lot of these guys have improved too. And I think a lot of them fight with a chip on their shoulder after they they lose out on that UFC opportunity. Because let's be honest, like when guys are growing up, it, you know, when you, these young fighters, especially now, and we're in 2022, man, like people are starting the sport young, and their goal is to join the UFC one day, but I also think people's goal is to make money and to provide for their family. And they, if these guys have an opportunity to do in Bellator, I think they'll take it. And I think you're seeing that with a guy like Danny Sabatello, who I, I think could win the tournament potentially. I think he is a dark horse to win the tournament. Yeah, a lot of people are starting to say that. And, and kudos to Mike Heck, who basically, I think he said it even before Sabatello was in the tournament. He's just like, this guy could win. So he's been on that train really for a while. So <laughs> I'll, I'll give Mike Heck some, uh, some big uh, kudos there. Um, well, Adam, thank you for doing this. This is the first time we've done a new format on the show. We opened up with having a, a fighter recap the event. News and notes with James Lynch. Yourself doing this, uh, this countdown with me to countdown to combat uh, or combat countdown, as I'm calling it. Looking at the, uh, the upcoming events from a betting perspective, matchup perspective. And um, I hope people have enjoyed this. Um, so I want to thank everybody for listening. You can subscribe to the show anywhere podcasts are found. You can leave comments. I always appreciate five-star reviews. So uh, a big thanks to uh, my guests, Jeff Molina, James Lynch, and Adam Martin. And we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.